any time you're running big boy time versus big boy time is like a ton of fun. Thing is so cool. That red dragon that it hits, it just hits. Yep. Cliff, man, what's been good? Oh man, um, everything. I get. I mean, it's been both good and bad, right? Like work is crazy. Uh, it's been an interesting time. That that Supreme Court decision having knock on effects in the political world, uh, which is a yeah, interesting yeah. time for institutions higher education. Um, life is good. My wife turned 40 last weekend, sent her on a trip to New York. It was like a 36-hour uh, Mom's Gone Wild trip with her and like 11 of her buddies. They had a blast. Sweet. Um, yeah, just been chilling, man. Hobbying up some Eldar. Trying to make this Wraithos list happen. It's really just turning into big boy time. So I've just got like an Avatar, the Incarn, a Wraith Knight, a bunch of Wraith Guard. Um, then random other large models in there. So just been hobbying that up. Um, got a 2,000 point RTT coming up next month. Have a 1,000 point RTT coming up this coming weekend. Uh, another Slogar League kicking off for 10th edition at the local FLGS. It's just good. Things are good. How about you, man? Yeah. Sorry, I'm just my camera. I. My dogs were like laying right here on the floor, and so I had the camera like pointed at them, and I was like kind of like out of the frame. And then as soon as we went live, they uh, they went under the desk, so you can't see them. Hey, <laughs> there's there's a dog down here. What's up, Pooch? Uh, yeah. Uh, every single every single show, he's uh, he's down there. He's right. <laughs> getting old, man. He's turned ten years old. Yeah, um, I'll turn it on the fourth. Yeah, back down he goes. Um, just been practicing with Team USA, helping to prepare, kind of sliding. Uh, since I'm uh, an alternate slash reserve slash whatever, uh, it's nice because like I still get to like help them like prepare and everything like that. But like that crushing weight of obligation is off my shoulders. So now it's just like pure like motivation and like wanting to be a part of the team wanting to help that kind of stuff versus like the feeling where it's more like almost like a little bit kind of like where it's like you have to do it it's a job yeah and even if you were going to do it anyhow like sometimes when there's that obligation it kind of like suck the fun out of a little bit but now it's like yeah i want to help them want to help them succeed whatever uh just the the freedom that even though i'm planning to play war masters the freedom that like knowing that i could go to belgium and if i wake up that morning i'd just be like nah just going to go to like Brussels instead or somebody like that that day, you know, with my family. Having that freedom is really nice. That's cool. Um, uh, but, do you think I've got a question there? This is like, um, yeah, when I, was playing, when I was still playing ball. I had a travel coach who like to pull me aside. I was having a hard time in like the beginning of the game. He pulled me aside and just like, can you just stop like trying to win and just like just go play, just play the game? Do you mm -hmm. feel like you're like able to play a little just like free basically? during the scrimmages and these practice games in a way that you weren't necessarily able to do when you were still like trying to hit that, hit the go for the starter role, you know? Um, in some ways, in some ways, yeah. Uh, you're, it's always, uh, it's kind of, we're, 
I'm trying to think how to describe it. So I haven't been on the team before, but I've seen like how they ran the team before, and they're kind of going through a metamorphosis. Um, and I think next year, uh, so they obviously opened the gates up this year, and I think there was like 30 of us initially, like 30 or 40 yeah. of us on the team, like a lot initially. Wow. And then you saw it got like cut down, and then it got cut down again to like the 20 people. And then like, and then it, um, then basically the people who they're considering like got smaller and smaller. I made it, I made it almost to the very end, and then like I made the very last cut, and then when they finally, um, when they finally went to like the top eight, I think I found like my threshold of of uh, skill slash time slash commitment. You know, like and I even told my wife like I wasn't going to really be emotionally available like while we were doing this, mm-hmm. um, and then. There was a whole level above that, like I, yeah. I, like you can't even imagine, and like that's kind of where I hit my limit. I think that definitely had like a factor into it, but like also, if there's a young guy who's like hungry and has the time and has the commitment, like why should I stand in the way? But we've gotten way off tangent now. Like, I don't know <laughs> the question was, um, find there's yeah, some meat there to explore, so I want to check that. But yeah, yeah, it's it's definitely freeing. Um, it's hard because, like, when you're trying out, you always want to put your best foot forward. But, like, also it's kind of like, well, if I'm trying to test out a new concept or if they ask you to try out, right. like, if they want you to, like, get reps or, like, put an army on the table or they want you to pilot an army in and, like, that army isn't, like, a top-tier army or it's not an army you're comfortable with you're not an army you have a lot of, like, reps with, you're kind of like, well, are they going to factor that in when they, like, watch me play or are right. they going to, like – or they're just going to take it at face value and be like, oh, this guy sucks, you know? Like, So there's there was definitely some times where, like, I was asked or expected um, to play a list, and I would quickly, like, go um, load up TTS and, like, load up a solitaire game, like, where right. like, the list I need to play, and then, like, the list I've played a bunch of times before, and I would literally play, like, two rounds versus myself mm. just to kind of get the feel of it, and then I'd go grab some of my locals, and I'd get like, a couple reps into them, and I'd be like, okay, well... At least I'm not gonna like fall flat on my face route the game, you know. <laughs> when like right. the team captain, the vice captain, like all the starters, like five prospects, like 20 people watching me, and then like 20 people from like another like country or something like that, you know. Like, <laughs> but you also you also learn like just getting like you just get used to like people watching you play too. Um, so that's fun. But yeah, I think I'm a uh, Imperial Knights or Chaos Chaos War Dogs. Uh, I just want to I just want to play something I'm chilling with. Speaking of big boys. Um, those new Tyranid models, man. Oh my god! Last night I went and bought um three of the Screamer Killers because those things are so cool. And and the thing is, is I haven't played Tyranids since Crusher. Um, just the the code the the Codex of Ninth Edition, even though it was strong as heck, it didn't like it. it I just it didn't really resonate with me. And then the mm-hmm. Index doesn't really resonate with me right now, anyhow. But when I saw the Norn Assimilator and the Norn Emissary, I just oh knew God. that I was I was screwed. I was like, <laughs> like, welcome to your new army. Hope you like. Uh... Well, I mean, well th- I'm not. So don't get me wrong. I'm not going to play Tyranids. <laughs> so like, you if you call me a poser or whatever, that's fine. I'm going to play six Norn, and then yes, yes. Whatever else fits in the list, like it's going to be fit in the list. And if it happens, whatever else fits the list happens to be three Screamer Killers, I'm going to put those in because those things are awesome and they have big third edition energy and I'm here for it. They look fantastic, yeah. Yeah, I'm with you. I definitely would not. I'm like not in it. 
Eldar player. I'm just playing the big models from the Eldar line. You know, uh, all this, uh, you know, so I put on the title, I put 10th edition cold takes, but it's not, I don't really have any takes. Like, I just didn't know what to write. And then, like, you weren't answering. So I was like, ah, I got to put something. And then because, like, and then because of, because um, uh, Death Corps Peter um, just went bananas with his tanks this past weekend. And we've been talking about big boy time. Yeah. And I have this hilarious picture of that guy who was like running the, the seven big tanks. Um, I'll, I'll have to find that guy, see if I have a picture of like, like it was, it was a picture taken by Brian Jones, the Imperial Knight, uh, Team USA Imperial Knight player. Um, and he had just, that guy had just wanted to roll off to go first. And apparently, he, <laughs> apparently he had been doing it all weekend long. And the guy has like total like, hey buddy, like hey buddy, like dad. Like, it's, yeah. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to find him out to reach out to him. And be like, hey man, can I please like share your picture? I've shared it a couple spots, but it feels wrong sharing it like kind of like semi publicly. Yeah, yeah. But I'm like, bro, this picture is so funny. <laughs> can I please can I please have your permission to share it? But um, and then all this talk about big boy time and stuff like that. So I just put a tank as the uh, the thumbnail. Yeah. Um, yeah. But last last month we were playing an RTT. And everyone was like stressed about the towering and about Eldar and stuff like that. And then two of the guys from Miami Dice, two two fifty year old men, and if any of my locals are listening, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was like round two, or round three. They got paired into each other, and one of them was running like all the Morkonauts, all the Gorkonauts, uh, and then like two or three Gargantuan Squigos. And the other guy was running. The other guy was running two Lord of Skulls, and then like three Defilers, and then like I think. I don't know, some like random demon princes or some other stuff, you know? It was just like pure like big boy time on both sides. And they were just like smashing the big toys around the middle. And we were like, we kind of like elbowed each other look. We we're kind of like, and afterwards we're talking about like, like, are we all missing the point? Is this, this was so pure. Is this what GW envisioned this? Like, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Like they were having a blast, man. So uh, Truly, I think, I think the cold take is like data intense and like, Obviously, I care about the meta. I care about balance. That's why we do this whole thing. But I also, like, I really do think that GW's intent is, like, that, like, that's their platonic ideal of a game. And so they've, like, introduced a rule set that they think will achieve that and, like, let people just go play free for the most part. I think it's hard. It can be hard to lose track of that when you're in a, like, like NBA teams that make the finals are not trying to worry about like what the balance of the game looks like for people playing pickup on the weekend, right? They like they don't care how the rules affect those people. They care about how the rules affect them. And conversely, like people who play pickup on the weekend are like not really stressed about major changes in the NBA rule sets and how to ref. They're just like, all right, that's not the game that I play though. So off we go. Um, so yeah, there might be the cold take there might be that like I don't know if you're just like a regular dude beer hammering it up that you're spot on the weekend you're trying to push big monsters together like it's probably a pretty good time right now yeah um it definitely seems i definitely notice that when i play big boy time lists like a lot of the growing pains of 10th affect me less <laughs> also i also i really like big boy time lists so like i'll just play those with the boys until um until the addition gets tightened up a little bit yeah cool. uh I, for a lot of people we've had a lot of we've had a huge growth in the community uh, the past five years, and especially the last three years. Um, eighth edition, 
eighth edition, um, seventh edition, eighth edition was actually the same way. Um, it ninth edition and tenth edition in some ways feels like kind of like a step backwards a little bit. Um, right. but I think that was I think that was more just because things got tacked on balance wise to the end of ninth edition. We have balance passes and lessons learned and stuff like that. But then due to lead time of tenth, when those things got deleted, we basically flew. It's why we feels like we flew back like two years. In time, yeah. we, we yeah. did due to print times and developing times and coordinated like releases between like models and print and stuff like that. Um, so right now, 10th edition feels a lot like the start of 8th edition for me. Um, although 7th edition at the end was wild, don't listen to Ennis, don't listen to what those guys tell you. It was insane <laughs> at the end of 7th edition, it was ridiculous. So don't listen to anyone tell you that like, it was good at the high level, like it wasn't, it was awful. Um, but the thing is, is at the end of 8th edition, like the balance that slowly got implemented over the first two years of 8th edition, that was very, we didn't know when it was going to come and it was very disjointed. Whereas like now in 10th edition, GW has shown willingness to be a little more open and they've shown a willingness to do a system where they try to address balance. And it appears that they're looking a little bit at the top end, like high end players, mm-hmm. being a kind of canary in the coal mine for mm-hmm. like, you know, things that are actually out of power band, but it also looks like they're looking for like negative player experiences in the middle and lower end of the skill level. Um, Even if things aren't necessarily out of balance, if they just create a negative player experience, it looks like they're looking at addressing those two. Um, The only thing I think they really need room for improvement, obviously, is one like maybe getting these right out the gate, right? Like the first time instead of taking like two or three tries for it, but hey, whatever, at least they're trying. The other (laughs) thing is um, a lot of lip service uh, over the past like three or four years to bring it up the bottom factions. And I haven't quite seen that a lot. Yeah. Um, but like, it's trending in the right direction. I, even though I think 10th was like a little bit of like a, like one step forward, two step back sort of thing. Like we're, mm. we're trending in the right direction. We still have a lot of addition left. Um, just play big boy time until it gets balanced out. You'll be fine. Yeah. Um, I know that's not what everyone wants to hear, but at the end of the day, you can still, you can still go out and play with your homies. It's just maybe don't, if you're one of those persons who goes to like a lot of events and you couple your self worth with your performance at an event, maybe like now is not the best time to do that. that. You know, don't don't do that. Do, general, I, would say, I would say don't don't do that anyhow, but like really don't do it now. Um, yeah. So that, that was that's actually boom that whole like little like soapbox that I just kind of got on. Like that was actually the entirety of the episode. Like we're just gonna roll into the credit card stuff and then questions because we have like a <laughs> million questions. Um, so Cliff, talk to me about uh, talk, we we've been mentioning it so many times we've been teasing. You. I know. We gotta talk about uh, talk to me about credit card rewards, man. Yeah, gosh. All right. So like, one, what is credit and credit rating? So in the United States and a few other countries, there's these magical numbers that get assigned to you based on your ability to pay bills, take out loans, repay them on time, etc. And the higher that number goes, the more money you're allowed to take out because your credit is better. It also makes you eligible for more and better and higher balance and better reward credit cards. So Tim and I uh, in back channels with the rest of the stat check crew, uh, really Tim has been like the Obi-Wan to Anthony's Luke, showing him the way of like travel rewards for credit cards. Uh, Because fundamentally the, the big advantage of applying for and getting credit cards is that like you spend money as you normally would you earn rewards and you get free things for changing literally nothing about your spending behavior. Um, 
so yeah, today we're just going to talk a little bit about like what kinds of credit cards to get, some examples of really good ones, how you might use them, uh, while understanding the entire time that like do not spend more money than you can actually pay off per month uh, because that is the trap. Credit card companies want you to carry a balance month over month so that you pay them interest so that they make money off of you. And the goal is to make money and gain rewards at their expense, not at yours. Um, so, Tim, do you have like a sort of first starter credit card story or like a good intro one that you've had sticking around with you for a minute? Um, so I had, I had a, just a generic Navy federal credit card when I was in the military. And then later on I went and got like, when I was out of the military, I got a, um, like a nicer one, like flag. It was like the Navy federal flagship rewards or whatever. And like, it was, it was fine. Um, like, and it was giving me credit card points, but I didn't really like look at it too much. I didn't really look at like, I was just like, oh, neat, whatever, you know, sometimes I would just use it. Um, I would just use it as like cash back, which apparently has a terrible return on investment. Or I would yeah, just um, use it like to like knock some points off of like a plane ticket. I would pay like 300 for a plane ticket instead of 500 or whatever, but I didn't really look into it. Um, and then once I kind of got settled in like with my current job, um, you know, settle down family and everything. And then also I'm, um, I'm very big on financial literacy. So like once I had kind of paid off everything, like right now I only have a mortgage. Um, mm -hmm. when I kind of got to that kind of point is when I kind of started looking into it. Cause a lot of my coworkers were like, kind of like doing this kind of thing. Like they were like, they had the Southwest card, they had American airlines card. Yep. Um, they had the Platinum Express card, stuff like that. So I kind of looked into it. Uh, I found a website. I'm not an affiliate, so I'm just plugging this out of my own volition. It's called thepointsguy.com. We can link it. Um, and basically, this and between that and between like watching some YouTube videos, I kind of got the hang of it. And basically, the the gist of it is, you instead of just paying cash for a hotel or cash for a plane ticket, etc., you are rooting that money through a credit card and you're comparing which ones give the best like ratios like for how you're spending and then you're also looking to see if your airline or your credit card or your hotel or what or multiple have like some sort of like loyalty or reward program and then you basically are like single dipping double dipping or triple dipping um reward points on money you were going to spend anyways because uh, you, because again, like, do not do this if you're not financially literate. Do not do this if you're not financially sound. If you're not traveling all the time anyhow, or if you're not good at credit cards, or if you can't, if you're not in a financial situation where you can pay off a credit card as soon as you put something on this, do not do this. Um, the it's not it's not worth going in debt to do this. You actually lose money if you go into debt, and pay interest, do this. So this, only do this if you are like rock solid financially. Mm -hmm. um, so I went with the, I, look, I went to the points guy and I looked up like best beginner cards and they recommended, um, there were several of them. The one I ended up going was the Chase Sapphire, the Chase Sapphire Reserve. Hey. Apparently, a lot, apparently a lot of the Chase cards are like really, really good and they're up there. Um, and it basically said, hey, you'll get like a 60,000 point bonus if you spend $4,000 within the first like three months of of uh, going to this. Um, so 
I was like, oh, well, I don't need to spend $4,000 or anything. So I actually waited. Um, and then this is when I was traveling for the ITC a lot. And basically when I was getting ready to start go do a bunch of tournaments for my ITC season, no, I that's, when I, that's when I signed up. And so every single, every single event, I was kind of like, hey, plane ticket, hotel, plane ticket, hotel. Plane ticket hotel, and and then just to kind of bump it up too, like the entry costs to the tournament, I would also put in the car, um, and then I think like I was I was close to like the very end of the intro period. I was like three hundred dollars short, so I went and bought like like three hundred dollars worth of like gas cards, you know, something like that. You know, I was like, well, use this anyway. Go for it. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm gonna I want, I'm trying to use it for stuff. I'm gonna spend money on anyhow. So I bought like three hundred dollars worth of prepaid gas cards, and I just put it in the center console of my card, and that was that was it. But I paid off everything. Like every time I bought something, I paid off immediately. And so I got a bunch of points, and I was like, okay, sweet, that's cool. I put it in there. Also, when I did the when I was doing this, I was mostly going through American Airlines, but I think a little bit of Southwest too. And so I signed up for the loyalty programs for all those. Mm-hmm. Every time I, and I think I also signed up for several like hotels like basically everywhere i stayed hotel everything i flew on plane i signed up for the loyalty program and so every time i bought something i i you know buy it on my credit card through the credit card portal and then i sign up with like the loyalty like program like login or whatever and so I basically every time i get i get points from the credit card i get points through the hotel loyalty program i get points through the plane loyalty program uh, and then also while I was doing this, I got that initial sign-on bonus. So like when all was said and done, like in a six-month period of traveling to all these like ITC tournaments and GTs and majors and stuff like that, I had something like I think like 750,000 points or something bananas like that. Because the other trick is to find out which of them are in an alliance with each other. Because if they are if they're in alliance with each other, is just what it's called when they work together. The points from one can transfer to the other. Mm-hmm. So basically, I bought, I was quadruple dipping a lot of times because I got points on the credit card, got points from the uh, plane ticket, got points in the hotel, and then I got the sign-on bonus. And then later on, the next year, I had all these points. I would transfer, you know, one, two, three, all the way to the card, you know, it was just like having four buckets and then pouring contents of three of those buckets into the one bucket. And then I would just use that to just pay for like the plane ticket. So like the next year uh, I flew like four or five times. I didn't have to pay for a single plane ticket. Um, And then because of all these loyalty programs and stuff like that, the other thing that's kind of like the next level up is that when you're doing it enough, they start upgrading you in status and stuff like that. And so they like start letting you board early. They start like, They'll give you like free passes to the lounge. Um, they'll get they'll bump you up to like business class and stuff like that. You know, just like lots of little cool things like that. Um, so if you are right now, I know plane tickets are a little bit high. Like maybe people aren't excited to travel for tenth edition, but like if you are if you are the type of person who is traveling to a lot of tournaments and staying in a lot of hotels and playing at a lot of tournaments or and or conventions, and you are in a good financial situation. But you are not doing this. You're like kind of like leaving money on the table. So Anthony, like when when I found out how much Anthony was flying to and from Europe, I was like, bro, he's doing this, and he had like yeah. no idea what he was talking about. I was like, oh man, I'm about to like open up your world, you know? Yeah. So he's and he's he's 
like apparently he's been like big time gaming because all those like, transatlantic flights have been adding up big time for him. So points. A lot, of, a lot of free flights and stuff out of it. Yeah. We, um, if you're looking at like a stretch, so my wife and I, there's like another level of this. So first I'll get into the intro. So if you're like first starting out with this, you don't have any credit cards, maybe you have one that you applied for when you're like 17 or 18 and it's sitting in, a, sitting in your wallet, not really doing anything. Um, you can start out and like good starter cards are like the Capital One Quicksilver card. Again, no affiliations with any of these people. It's just like literally the stuff that, that I've done and that people I know have done. Um, or the Chase Freedom card. Those are both great like basic credit cards, get you some bonuses, you get some cash back. Um, you hang on to those for a minute, six months, maybe a year, depending on what your credit score looks like after having those. And then you go up to like grabbing the Capital One Visa, which I think is literally the the, the credit card that every single person should have broadly. It's double points and everything, very low annual fee. Annual fees are things associated with hanging hang onto the card. You have to like pay some money to have it. Um, but the bonuses it gives you are great. Like double points and everything that you spend is fantastic. And those points like Tim was describing are really flexible. You can spend them on hotels. Uh, you can spend them on like actual cash. Don't do that. It's bad return points to dollar. Um, you can spend it on flights, all that stuff. And they come with like random discounts off, uh, like subscription services, um, random stores you go to, stuff like that. Then the next level up there from like the Capital One venture cards of the world is where you start getting into the like American Express, Platinum, Chase Sapphire Reserve, some of the fancier um, airline cards. And that's where you're paying a more substantial annual fee, but you're getting like a crazy number of points back on stuff. So like the Amex Platinum, for example, is like 5X points, five times the points that you, uh, dollars you spend on like flights and hotels that you book through them. Um, you can call them up and say like, which I've done before, like, hey, I need a hotel in this city for these days. Um, can you just like book it for me and let me know what happens? Here's your budget, off you go. Um, they go do that, you get access to all these lounges. Um, and then the big advantage with the Platinums and some of these other ones is that they give you like substantial discounts on stuff that you're actually using all the time. So like you get $15 a month to use on Uber. You get uh, random discounts at like clothing stores. Um, you get access to the American Express lounges in the, air, in the airports, which is like free food, free drinks, great place to sit. They usually have a place if you're traveling with kids for like the kids to hang out and play. It's like a little clubhouse basically that you get access to, which is great. Um, yeah, they're just, and you get automatic upgraded status at all these like Hilton, um, Ritz Carlton, uh, Hertz, all the car rental companies, all these things where you get like auto upgrades if they're available, same thing on flights. The other thing you should do if you're like really into flying is like find whatever hub, whatever hub is near you. Maybe it's American Airlines, maybe it's Delta, maybe it's Southwest, JetBlue, whatever get their midline credit card and then after that get their fancy credit card to again gain access to all these automatic upgrades uh, so that you can like double dip triple dip on the points like tim was just describing but that that progression of the like if you really want to go into it hit up the pointsguy.com read all the stuff they've got available but if you're just looking to get started you wouldn't be going too wrong by going quicksilver some sort of capital one visa adventure card and then off to amex Sapphire Reserve, um, that that stuff. 
It's great. You just end up, oh, another big thing, if you use Amazon a lot, get the Amazon Visa. It's like double points on all the stuff that you spend um, on Amazon or um, Whole Foods. And you can use that immediately for Amazon purchases at like a pretty decent conversion rate. So it's just like free stuff at the end. You know, there's lots of discounts for Games Workshop miniatures on there. So quick way to get cheap minis also. Yeah. You're basically just kind of like, you're just min-maxing and you're kind of like trying to find a way to like, get 5% more for your money here, then 5% more for your money here, and then 2% here, and blah, blah, blah. And, and then when you go to combine it all, it ends up like exponentially kind of increasing, you know? And that's that's on top of the, the non-tangibles, such as like the status upgrades and that kind of stuff. Uh, but again, I got to reiterate, like credit is not free money. Like you cannot, you can absolutely cannot like just go and like just like run up your cards. You know and stuff because yeah, uh, when that. I was when I was younger, I've been I've been down that road and it's it's not fun. Um, so like right now, um, right now I have like like I said, except my mortgage, which I'm paying down extra. I'm hoping to have I'm hoping to have my thirty year mortgage paid off at fifteen. Um, yeah, it's um, yeah. it feels it feels way better to just wait to buy something rather than like have to like just throw money away at a credit card bill constantly so that's that's really nice um and i say that because uh sam said uh what other personal finance philosophies do you follow oh that's and, fine um uh so let me let me find it i'll link it i don't i don't think it's like you know i wouldn't call it the finance bible but i'm a big fan of dave ramsey's seven baby steps um <laughs> as a generic um, way to kind of like get right, so to speak. And here, I, I went ahead and linked it. Nice. Um, it's it's real simple. It's basically like, hey, get put, a, you know, and not all at once, you know, maybe like $50 a paycheck, $100 a paycheck, whatever. Put a thousand in like a, in savings as like emergency fund. Like, you know, when you're, when all of a sudden like you got to get the brakes done your car or like you get a flat and it's not repairable on your tires, stuff like that, you know, like things just happen. And if you have money like savings put away, like you don't have to like, you don't have to spend it on your credit card. Um, step two is just pay off everything except for your mortgage. Step three is um, save three to six months of expenses in a fully funded emergency fund. Uh, I, I've skipped around. I'm not doing these in order. I'm currently on that step. I have about Basically, I took my wife and I, we took all our bills that we have, um, like electricity, stuff for like my kids, uh, like medical co-pays and that kind of stuff, the car insurance, the mortgage, all that kind of stuff. We figured out what we have, what we need to spend every single month. We multiplied it by six and we've been aiming towards that. And she's been helping me out too. We're about halfway there. We got about three months of uh, cash put away for that. So like, God forbid, if the the government shut down because that happened to us a couple years ago. My wife and I didn't get paid for six weeks, but luckily we, you know, don't live like a super extravagant lifestyle. So we were kind of cruising, even though we were worried. But a lot of my coworkers were really stressed out over that. Yeah. Um, step four is invest 15% of your household income to retirement. Uh, as a government employee, I have the thrift savings program. Um, and that's, that's maxed. Um, I maxed it out. So it sometimes it definitely hurts because it's like eight like 800 something a paycheck that i put into it but i mean when i'm 50 60 70 years old like i'm gonna be happy i did that um 
step five, I'm also doing this. I, uh, I started up a college fund for my kid. Um, it's not that expensive. The returns look pretty good. We'll see what tuition looks like by the time my kid's uh, 18, though. Yeah, I was going to say, at that point, my wife and I joke about this with our two kids. We're just like, either college is going to be straight free or no one's going. Exactly. <laughs> um, so I'm, I actually have two college funds going um, because I'm kind of hedging my bets a little bit. Uh, so one of them, so there's two types of college funds you can do. There's one where you basically just lock, you like decide what tuition is going to be. essentially, mm -hmm. And you lock it in the day you start it. And then you put money towards that. Yeah. The other one is more like an IRA, but for tuition, and you're just yeah. hoping that your rate of return will beat whatever tuition is. So that one, you get more aggressive returns, but also if the rate of college tuition outpaces it, then, yeah. then it doesn't matter how aggressive it is. You're just losing money, essentially. Um, I'm doing both, so yeah. we'll see. But like I said, I've, I have like one gorillion um, – like uh, Warhammer now, I don't need to buy any more except for the Norn emissaries. I'm buying those things. Um, <laughs> work for. So, like at this point, like all my literally all my money is just going into um, the house, unfortunately, and uh, and then house in the future. My my retirement, and then like hopefully making like my kid's life not suck when he's an adult. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then so step six is pay off your home early. That's that's also the stuff I'm on right now. And step seven is build wealth and give. Which I think is kind of cool. Um, mm -hmm. So we're all hoping to get to step seven. So again, you just—I haven't signed up for any of his programs or anything, but I thought that was a pretty good guideline to kind of keep, like, keep me grounded, keep me posted. Like I said, I started that in earnest right before COVID, um, and I think my financial situation at the time was kind of, you know, what was typical for most Americans, and it's now. Oh, uh, like three years later or something like that. And it's, it's been, it's taken a lot of discipline, but like I said, like I, I don't owe money on anything except for the house and I'm, I'm paying the house down. I should, should have the house paid down in uh, that 30 year mortgage in 15 years. I'm hoping yeah. I'm hoping. That's fine. The other thing, so worth noting for folks that are tuning in that like a lot of this also like fully understand is only possible if you are fortunate enough to have like, enough money to get by like like I, like I grew up in public housing in brooklyn so i i 100 understand what it is to like grow up broke and or have like no cash uh, and also taught high school science in brooklyn for a minute so also there's a lot of like folks doing professional highly demanding jobs that are not appropriately compensated for that work um and that shit sucks so that said there's still like little things you can do like try not to spend like even though all these website calculators will tell you what you can afford to spend on housing. If you can avoid it, don't spend half of your income on housing. Like try, try to run that down to 30%, even if it means like, yeah, all right, I got to live like a 15 minute walk away from public transportation or like do what you can to just drive that down. Cause that's like the big cost driver, especially in the U S um, and you know, know that we're also speaking of a position of being like, old like i'm 40 so i like had the opportunity to like careers have progressed but a position that's more comfortable now i don't think you know this conversation would look the same with like my 25 year old self what i was doing that as it does now so yeah exactly um same situation i'm i'm almost 40 um i when i was in my 20s in the military i was like in no way shape or form able to do this um 
but I've been doing I've been doing air traffic control for almost two decades now, and I'm at a um, a very large facility, and so is my wife, and we I mean up as up as recently as probably like 2015, 2016. I mean, we were, it was like, it was tough sledding, you know, um, pretty much by all. And like around 2016, 2017, um, the clouds just started to break, you know, between one, just having, um, we got married in 2015, but like we'd known each other since 2010 or whatever, but just having like a great support system and, we were kind of in the same headspace as like, you know, the value of like work and money and savings and that kind of stuff. Um, Cause I grew up middle-class, she grew up very lower class. Um, and so we, there was just that kind of understanding there. And then just a combination of a career progression and good financial habits and financial literacy. We have eventually kind of gotten to like that point, like Cliff said, where like now there's a bit of privilege going on there. Um, that we're like almost 40, we're in our prime earning years, stuff like that. But you know, instead, there is there may be some of you who are in our demographic who are like in that situation. This is something you should be aware of, or maybe some of you guys are not, but you are very financially literate, you know, and you're able to punch above your weight, uh, earnings wise. Um, but again, if you are just we're not financial advisors. We put that out there. Um, if if you guys are making not great financial situations, and let's be honest, you're playing Warhammer. There's a non-zero chance that that applies to you. Um, this is this is not for you. You need to skip this. Come back when you're ready. Um, I I saw this question. I thought maybe Cliff, this would be better for you. Yeah. I'm not quite sure what he means, but I guess I'm just going to take the same question. For me personally, when I look at a credit card. If, it, if I see that APR is like crazy high, mm-hmm. or, you know, or if it's like a 0% intro, uh, intro period, but it's like after a month or something like that, like the APR skyrockets, you know, like that is, that's something to watch out for. Like when I was, yeah. you can leverage that too. When I was paying down um, my consumer debt and everything, what I did is I applied for 0% credit cards that had like an 18 month 0% period. Mm-hmm. basically just transfer balance transfer yeah i would do the balance transfer i would take the number and then instead of dividing it by 18 i would divide it by like 15 or something like that to give me a little bit of like wiggle room and then i would just set up an allotment and i would just do that and then at that point my goal was just to make sure that i didn't take on any more debt and i after doing that like two or three times like boom i was free and clear um, but if you if you go a day past the zero percent introductory period, those things jump up to like like percent APR, and you did, man they 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 come after you hard. Yeah, the compounds fast. Don't do it. the The biggest thing for me is when you see a credit card that has a annual fee um, that's like over a hundred dollars, but isn't giving you anything. Because um, then you're just paying a credit card company money for no real return. So like, you know, some and and they have like varying. Some of them have varying rates of return on that fee. So like, American Express is a relatively high one. It's like five hundred ninety-five dollars a year, but you get like about two grand worth of stuff back from them, uh, and that doesn't even include some of the intangibles like the lounge access and the car rental stuff, all that. So you always want to be sure that you're taking into account the 
return on the investment you're making by paying the fee associated with credit card. Yeah, exactly. Uh, Elo had another one. What advice do you give to your early 20 sellers regarding financial decisions? The biggest <laughs> one is like, I had, so I, I had access to the TSP um, when I was young, but like, I didn't really like think about it. Um, and I think, I think when I was contributing, I wasn't even contributing. I was contributing some, but it was, I don't even think it was enough to like hit the 5% matching from the government. And then also I left it in the G fund, which is basically a glorified savings account where you get like a couple percent. It, like it doesn't even keep up with inflation. Mm -hmm. um, the number one thing I've heard from a lot of people when they talk about retirement savings and everything um, is to start early. Starting early is more important than um, how much you're actually putting in um, because of compounding interest. So if you just start putting in like away like $100 a month into like a Roth IRA or something like that, that's going to be worth more than waiting until you're 30 and then putting in like 500 a month, you know? And so even though you're like going more aggressive, it's just that initial time, you can't get that back. Um, so that's really like the only regret. Um, yeah. And also now in, in my TSP, my TSP is geared so it's very aggressive. And again, if you... I don't really, if you have like a Roth IRA or like a 401k or something like that, it's kind of similar with TSP is like the 401k for the U.S. government. Um, but I have, it, I have it set up very, very aggressively. Um, and so there's real, there's, there's sometimes a lot of losses when the market takes a hit or when there's like a bad news day or something like that. But overall, the trend is upward. And because I'm not going to retire for like another 13 to 15 years, yeah. 20 um, those aren't real losses. And as I get closer, I'm going to like kind of tune that to be less aggressive mm -hmm. to prevent myself. Cause you, know, you don't, you don't want to retire like right when it takes a dip and it's like, well, you want it to like go back up to a peak, but like, you don't know when that peak's going to happen. You don't want to just like work and wait for it to peak, you know? So you want the upper trend. And bonds and things once you get the actual retirement, your actual retirement age. Um, Tim G. Power through. So Tim G asked, my 401k has been shrinking lately. Should I consider lowering my match or just trying to power through? So Tim's point, you just power through. If you can afford it, power through. Um, recessions are the best time to buy. Yep. It's just, it sucks. That's why they call it a recession because they suck. Yeah. Um, but but they're they are the best time to buy. They essentially like, and this happened a little bit during COVID and savvy stock people bought a lot of good stock given that time. Um, investing in 401k due to the proliferation of index funds and like the access that gives you to the whole market is basically you betting that like the world will not end <laughs> before your 401k matures uh, because that's essentially the only scenario in which the current economy's value would be less than the economy's value in like 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. So assuming that an asteroid does not hit the planet or some other catastrophic event does not occur to essentially reset um, Western capitalism over the course of 30 years, you're probably going to be okay. So it's worth, it's worth powering through. When you said that, I, I had to chuckle because I had that mental image of like that, that, that gif of like the flat earth and then like the meteors coming in and it, and like the dinosaurs look up at it and it hits it and it spins like a dinner plate and you just see like dinosaurs getting launched in the space. <laughs> Yeah, rip. Um, so we made it almost 45 minutes and we have almost not talked about 40k at all 
<laughs> I mean, this is kind of this is almost like a view into like mine and Cliff's life. Like, um, yeah. as much as we obsess about this game, it, like we we compartmentalize it. It's just like to us, it's still a game. It's a game we obsess about, you know. And a lot of times, when you see me in Discord, I'm usually it's when I'm on break at work or whatever. But um, we do have lives outside the game, and you know, it's it's good to kind of keep this stuff in perspective. Yeah. Especially like when the when the game is like, eh, tenth edition, eh. Go play, go play, go see your boys, you know, laugh about some of the silly design decisions. But like um I don't want to say like touch grass because that sounds like really um what's 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 the word? Uh not pedantic, uh patronizing. Patronizing, derogatory. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, like a little bit, you know, like when you're looking down. So I don't want to say that, but like man, it's um it's a good time to kind of like remember that you enjoy this hobby and this hobby's not going anywhere. It's been a, yeah. like, this game has been around a long time. Um, if it survived Matt Ward, it will survive 10th edition. Um, <laughs> so also it'll come around eventually. Don't, don't fire sale your stuff on the flip side. If you want to start a new army, buy the armies that are bad. Now I picked up, I picked up a awesome lot like two weeks ago off eBay death guard. It had like everything. Everything I, I'm telling you, I paid like criminal prices for, and um, I also picked up Thousand Suns for criminal prices too. But I think I picked it up before people realized they were good, so yeah, yeah. But right at the start of the edition, I picked up Death Guard and Thousand Suns. I have complete armies for both now, it's awesome. Yeah, um, and it was like you said, people just got emotional and they were too emotionally invested in the game, they sold. I was like, thank you. I haven't even taken them out of the box, they're just in my garage. I was like, they'll come out eventually. The Stat Check Discord is a great place, not only for general uh, finance tips, but also for 40k stock analysis and uh, buying buying suggestions. Let's stick into those questions, man, because I feel like yeah. it's easily going to fill the rest of the episode. Uh, by the <laughs> way, um, for those of you who are in the Discord have not uh, seen whatever, Cliff and I have been talking a little bit behind the scenes, um, and it was also fortuitous timing because... Uh, Archon Scari kind of reached out to us. He wanted to be on. Um, I've worked with Archon Scari before when I was on Florida Man podcast and Art of War podcast. He's a great person to have as a guest. Um, it'll be really good. We're hoping to get him on next week. Not next week. In two weeks, next episode. And that'll be uh, literally like three days before I hop on the plane for Belgium for WTC. Woo. Uh, same for him probably. So we'll, we'll probably be talking about like WTC, about his life, about, you know, I think he's got like two two kids maybe i'll have to double check but one of them's pretty old you know so he's been doing like the dad hammer thing for a while um but he's and he went full-time i think right, right around covid or just before covid yeah. uh content creator uh which is quite a leap of faith especially with the family um so we'll definitely ask him about that you guys have lots of questions for him we also um it was brought to our attention and it's a good point that our episode tends to air kind of like during that nightly ritual for people on the East Coast of like when they're trying to get the kids like down and ready for bed, you know, like get them fed, bathed, bedtime story, put them down to sleep. So we're going to experiment with like moving around the time slot a little bit. Um, somewhere between like 7 p.m. and 10 p.m. Eastern Standard Time, we'll put a poll up, but we're also going to ask Scary. That's why I said I'd, I'd message him. Um, we might cater to him just for that one episode, just to like kind of make that work. And then we'll put it up on a poll for like, when do you want the new time to be? And then after WTC, we're rolling to that new time slot. Mm -hmm. um, so whatever helps like more people catch our show, show live. Cause that's really what we want. Yeah. Uh, Shout out. That being said, 
observation. I was going to say shout out to Jake in the Discord for that uh, observation. It was just like, oh yeah, both of our partners are currently handling full bedtime responsibilities while we do the show. That is probably the case for other people in similar time zones. <laughs> so most of you, I tried a new thing where I tried to compartmentalize all the questions into a thread. I pulled that idea from Curry. Um, <laughs> looks like most of you figured that out and like three of you didn't and just commented your questions right below it. So you three are going to get semi-punished by having your questions answered last. And we will roll into the thread. Oh, Lord, this is big thread. Uh, <laughs> crazy. Um, all right. So from Grant H. from the Discord, are you all still enjoying – he did say y'all. Uh, I think he's from Texas. Still enjoying 10th despite all the molding. Uh, molding is slang for bald slash mad. So like, like oh, Maldi, so, Maldi, just imagine so, a, like imagine a bald person like getting so bad that like their bald spot turns red or something like that. That's how it's <laughs> um, flip flopping balance stuff and general wackiness that's happening with it, especially with Tim having to slam reps for WTC. Um, Cliff, I've been, I've been talking a bunch. Cliff, why don't you go ahead and take a lead on this one, then I'll follow on. Um, so like speaking of compartmentalizing, I've got there's like two parts of this where like on the one hand, I have I get generally upset when like well-resourced institutions don't do a job well. And as a customer, I find it frustrating that like, I'm in a position now after forget getting back into the game in eighth where I'm like, I don't need to buy other stuff. Like I'm set, I'm happy. I have the armies that I like, I have the models that I like. Now I just wait for rules to happen and I can pull stuff off the shelf, which is like super great. It also took a few years to get there, obviously. Um, but like, it is upsetting to me from a like sophisticated professional consumer standpoint that like you would release a thing in either an accidentally imbalanced state or like a purposely imbalanced state where you just said like, oh, it's okay, we'll get to it later. And like the, the speed at which the game is improving is not, I think, in line with the speed at which there are realizations about balance issues occurring. So I find that frustrating, that's not fun. The other part of me, that like goes and plays games and like gets up on Vassal and throws up these lists is like, I'm still having a good time. Like, it's cool with me. <laughs> I'm good. Like the game is fun. Um, it is like, a, it's certainly faster. <laughs> I don't think it's faster for the reasons GW intended. Um, and like, I'm viewing it as like a, a pretty much an extended beta test until that first real balance slate rolls out. Um, which means I'm just, throwing stuff on the table. Let's see what happens if you roll with uh, a Canis Rex and a Warden and the Castigator with the sword. Like, cool, let's just do triple tank shots and see how many mortal wounds we can do at one time to my buddy's army. Like, let's throw a bunch of custodies on the table and see how many four up states you can pass. Um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a good time, I think, to just sort of not be so intensely serious about the game and get out there and, and see what's going on. I also think, which is beneficial to WTC, obviously, that like the team game is so different that like while there are certainly a few clear contenders for inclusion in a team of like five to eight, there's still room for some more interesting picks depending on what you know the meta looks like. So like yeah, like I'm still having fun. I'm doing a bunch of hobbying. That's a solid like half of my enjoyment from the hobby in the first place. Um, I like talking about it, the dashboard stuff I find intrinsically fun, so that's still fun. 
to me because uh, pointing at two win rates that are higher than 70% and then looking at the rest of it is super interesting. Yeah, it's good. I'm still having a good time. I don't know. How about you, Tim? Yeah. Um, kind of the same thing. Um, again, like I'm, I'm very happy to see the kind of globalization of the Warhammer competitive community uh, in general. And I think a big part of that has been um, stat check and fight club and Anthony and Innis is doing, you know, and you know, like you and Curry as well, but like, I'm going to be honest with you, credit where it's due. Anthony has been literal figurehead for going out like across the seas, forcibly, yeah. make, forcibly making friends yeah. like in other countries and yeah. dragging them, kicking and screaming into like other communities and like letting the cross pollinization happen. Um, I think that's accelerated that and then the open transparency we're starting to get like with Team USA and stuff like that, I think it's starting to accelerate the uh, the uh, team bug. Uh, because again, um, if you are like right now, like when I'm, I haven't been as present in stat check and everything because I've been, I've still been busy doing the team stuff. Um, and a lot of that is like behind closed doors and like we're in a secret lab with like bunkers and like there's like someone on like a flatbed with like cables going into him and you know, like all sorts of stuff we're doing like science um but a, a lot of the the real harsh growing pains of the meta like we we know they're coming like kind of in test games stuff like that and we just kind of accepted it but it's not it's not like um singles where you like you spend real time and money and you go to this event and you just on your life your story just unceremoniously like gets snuffed out by like <laughs> overwatch on like round two you know you're just kind of like okay i guess i that was my that was my undefeated streak just gone you know whereas now it's kind of like okay yes elder are s tier so every team's gonna have an every team's gonna have an elder player but for every year of WTC ever, there was always an elder player on WTC. Yeah. So nothing's any, nothing's really any different, you know. Um, now it's just kind of like, how do I want to approach it? Do we want to? Do we want to like try to figure out something to like put into it to absorb the hit uh, and try to like smother it, you know, and like just be like get whatever points you can, get like a five or something like that. Can we find something super secret, you know, where like it turns it into like a thirteen seven that sort of thing? Mm-hmm. Or is it going to be like, hey, are we just going to throw something to the wolves? So that way our other factions that are designed to go 20 to 20 people can go 20 unmolested that that round. Mm-hmm. Like I said, everyone's going to have LR. So like it's it, it kind of like levels the playing field. Right. Like what do you um, do? Exactly. exactly. Um, and then like so and then you also have. Um, and it doesn't, the power level doesn't quite work like linearly, like it was in singles. Like sometimes you'll have an army that is um, on its face very strong. But then, like, as you're getting reps, as you're doing like pairings, like we'll literally, one of the things that like people don't talk about a lot is we'll literally swap around starters. Mm-hmm. And then, like, we'll have someone experienced, like, like Sean or John or Anthony or something, be like the opposing forces. And like they'll practice pairing. And so the the starter will have all the teams that Team USA is running or whatever, and then the opposing person will be like, okay, well, these are the six factions we expect to see, and like let's put two like wild cards in there, something like that, you know. And we'll we've been asked questions about like, well, what archetype is that list? Uh, do they get table choice? Blah, blah blah, you know. And we'll actually do like mock pairings, you know, and that generates a lot of discussions, something like that. But we found that like sometimes you have an army that is considered strong, 
but then you you run it through the pairings process and you have a hard time getting it into the matchups you know where like it needs to thrive or we find out that we go through the pairings process and it's actually kind of getting beat up a lot because they're able to put what they want into it and it just doesn't really get a chance to do what you think it wants to do mm-hmm. there's also factions that are really good at losing by like five points which is almost completely useful so valuable yeah but in teams that's huge because yeah. like now you, now you have a list that like even against the worst list like the most cancerous that's that's probably not nice to say the most oppressive list in the game you could throw this list into it and it's just going to come back with like an eight yep. you know and no matter what you throw it into it comes back with an eight you know and then you have some armies where it's kind of like they do that but they also have the opportunity like custodians is a great example you they're usually pretty good for like you know like a middling score but if the opponent makes a single mistake they come back with like a 15 16 17 you yeah. know so you have all sorts of stuff like that so the the team meta is very different and lets you weather kind of bad balance decisions because those bad those bad or suboptimal i don't want to say bad but like those suboptimal balance decisions or states of the game just become part of the landscape that you're playing in and mm-hmm. everyone has them and they don't immediately shut you out. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Also, it's nice because you don't feel like you have to buy that army to compete because between seven other people, someone's going to have it. You know? Yeah. So there's not even an obligation for you to like pay to win. Yeah. That um, value is the, the notion that teams has turned like a hard fought loss into something of high value in a team environment is so, that's just so good, right? Because then you go out there and gut it out and lose. Turn a 20 into a 17-3, and you're like, yes, hell yes. That's like three unexpected points out of nowhere that we did not expect to have, you know? It's great. Yeah, it's a it's a huge deal. Uh, and then besides that, the other – trying to remember the rest of the question. Um, yeah, overall, I'm still enjoying 10th. It's um, – it's, I've had I've – had, Editions I've liked more. I've had editions I've liked less. I've had times in the game I've liked more. I've had times in the games I've liked less. Um, I've seen I've seen darker times in the meta than this. Um, <laughs> <laughs> believe it or not, um, I, release Iron Hands was quite a trip. That was um, uh, um, that, that was that was incredible. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, even though some even though there's like some glitches in the matrix, you know, and things are just weird, you know, and just. I'm trying to think how to describe it. It's like, I'm just enjoying my day-to-day life, but like my, you know, the mailbox, I'm just walking my dog and then the mailbox down the street, it's a mimic and it just eats my dog. I'm like, what the crap? That's not supposed to happen. <laughs> you know, that's what it feels like. That's what it feels like when you just get overwatched, you know? <laughs> but um, besides weird stuff like that, um, it still feels like Warhammer. Like I said, yeah. just it's just the opportunity to get diced and to dice your opponent is increased now. And Very sometimes and sometimes in very like clunky ways that like interrupt like the the smooth flow of like a battle round. Um, so I think that's kind of like the twofold issue of it is like there was more opportunity for dicing, uh, and then sometimes the dicing happens in a way that feels a little bit clunky. It doesn't feel smooth. Uh, and then obviously there's like the balance issues with the different factions, but that's that's a tale as old as time. Um, Tim the Weird Boy, list a painting cheat that elevated your miniatures from minimal time and effort. Uh, to this day, I have not found anything um, that yields results better and faster than 
uh, straight up con not even not even slap chop because uh, slap chop has its drawbacks but actual contrast then you paint the metallic paint on for any metallic stuff and then you put a heavy 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 wash of normal oil on it i still have not seen anything that like does better bang for buck looks than that because the no because it looks splotchy with the contrast paint yeah. but the normal oil like unifies it somehow just hits I, mean, it. I, don't yeah. to, I don't know how to describe it the only the only tweak you might want to put on you might want to put on there for increased bang for your buck is instead of null oil make it a dark brown oil wash and throwing that on because of the level of precision that it'll give you and the lack of splotching you don't have to watch it as much as you do i do oil wash for splotching but it, it's like a little bit more effort though yeah that's the thing like i do like oil washes but um it is a lot more effort because like now you gotta like you gotta mix it with the two different tubes and the yeah. ground, you gotta mix it, yeah. you gotta put the spirits in, you gotta use a different brush, you gotta put it on, you gotta let it like wait yeah. overnight, then you gotta like, you know, take the, the little makeup sponges or whatever, smear it off, then you gotta seal it. It's it like easily adds like five or six different steps. I agree with you, but because of those like five or six different steps, it's more work for sure. Yeah, that's that's why that's why I didn't do it. Like no one yeah. just literally just dump it on there and it's, it's fine. Yeah. Um, hey, real quick, we're gonna we're gonna we'll talk about that when we get through all the Discord questions and Major League Nerd. We are going through the Discord questions now. Yeah, we're trying to bust up. We basically we saw like I'm gonna ping I'm gonna do ping everyone every single time we do this because <laughs> I saw the the sheer amount of feedback on the questions. I was like, hey Cliff, what if we just don't have a topic and we just launch immediately in the question? <laughs> just, just for it. Um, and it still might end up being a two-hour episode. Um, may have already been asked, but quick tips for doing meals on the cheap during conventions. Um, this is from Frank. So, uh, it really depends on the venue, but if you're going to pack yeah. something for yourself, you can't like, don't, obviously you don't want to take stuff that's like really perishable, except for stuff like apples, bananas, that kind of stuff. Um, I find that stuff like energy bars, water and fresh fruit, um, and granola, those, those tend to be like the best kind of like bang for your buck and then not make you feel terrible like after you eat them. But they're really they're really just meant to get you through a day. They're not like a true replacement for a meal. Mm -hmm. So I would I would wake up early, wake up early, try to beat the rush at whatever breakfast establishment they have down there. Like I know it sucks, but just just get up early. Um, beat the line, beat the rush, get like a real breakfast and use some make some eggs, some coffee, that kind of stuff um use fruit water granola energy bars to get you through the day um and then and then go out and have a good dinner with your teammates you know and kind of kind of like refuel your body and everything um you, that's that's the biggest thing is just you just don't want to load your body down with like crap um during the day because one's going to be expensive two it's just going to make you play like absolute dog water yeah, you're not um, going to feel good in the afternoon you're going to play terrible um, so if you if you keep it light and keep it healthy, um, you your body and your gameplay will help you a lot. Um, Gabe C says, "When will Tim finally get a rampager on the table?" JK, but seriously, what are your guys' thoughts on running Vegas and CK, including things like Shalaxi? Gabe just really wants me to validate his desire to run a big boy. It's what really what he wants. I've told him so many times my thoughts on this. He just wants me to validate him. Yes. He's just gonna wear me down. Just run your big boys, man. Just run your just run your big boys. Yeah. I'm going, I'm going to WC and War Masters. I've like literally I'm like I have put 
like real big boy time money to go across <laughs> the the Atlantic. <laughs> and so I'm not I'm trying to make sure that like when I go, I don't want to be like, oh, I wish I wish this model had been that model. Oops, you know, like I'm here in Belgium, you know, <laughs> I barely speaks English. Oh well, lesson learned, you know, like so there's there has been a level of like play testing commensurate with like the the real amount of time and money that i've invested in this you know so like if you're just playing at like an rtt or gt like like within your state or something like go nuts man the opportunity cost like what's the worst case scenario you go, you go two three and still have a ton of fun like who cares like, yes, yes. you're gonna have a good time Rampager, rampagers are so freaking cool and i'm honestly i envy you the fact that you're like like I, someone posted a list where they had like two of them like oh one of them one of them had the minus one, the minus one AP. The other one had like the sticky objective. And I was like, so oh, good. I, 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 I envy you so hard. <laughs> I got back into this game to chill. And then next thing you know, I just somehow ended up in like a gazillion podcasts on Team USA. <laughs> and I, and like, I just kind of wish I could just, just go back. <laughs> so, so jealous. Like, if you're thinking about doing content creation or like upper, higher level stuff, like, don't. Just, just run your big boys and just, just stay pure. You can, um, you can do both. I'm still running big boys. <laughs> yeah, uh, Shalaxi is great. Uh, we talked about it earlier. Like the having a big guy, having Shalaxi, it makes it's a, it, it's really nice to have like that kind of anchor, um, especially if you if you rapid ingress it, um, where they don't get that free chip damage on it, and then like boom, rapid ingress turn two, boom, it is there. Like they need to deal with it now. But while they're dealing with it, like they usually can't deal with your your war dogs that are pushing up, especially if you've been diligent about hiding your war dogs turn one, and they've got they haven't put any damage onto your army at all, and you're st and then now you're kind of doing like a little pincher attack, and your full your army's full still a full wound count. It's very strong. Um, I've been playing war dogs more like a kind of like a board control army that's like masquerading as a stat pick smaller. They're not that like, tough, given how they're lethal. Not that tough. Like I said, you only have two more wounds than the Intercessor Squad. You know. Oh, with, that's an interesting framing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like to, to frame it, and you have a three up save. You have, which you can get in uh, cover, which is nice. Um, you have five up invuln in shooting only. Um, doesn't come up a crazy amount unless they have ignore cover and like AP three or something like that. Um, but toughness ten is kind of like a vanity stat almost you know as soon as they have any kind of like real like reroll wounds or or they just have like crazy high strength you know you're only like against any kind of real anti-tank you're only like three or four failed saves maximum away from disaster um and so i've, I've noticed a lot of chaos night players saying like yeah it's crazy because like i feel so tough then all of a sudden i'm just tabled by turn three or turn four I'm like just the real thing. What happened? Yeah. Um, so here's what I do. I stay behind the wall until it's time to move through them. Um, and then I just make a game plan out of that. Uh, but my current list is one stalker, five brigands, five carnivores, because you don't really have an army rule. So you're just trying to bring the most efficient data sheets you can. And even though they're carnivores are expensive, they move 14 with a ton of OC and they move through walls and they move through models. They're just very good for mission play, even if you don't end up using that much combat. But they are really good. They are pretty reliable as far as combat goes, uh, especially with Tank Shock. Uh, two units of Nurglings, the Blue Scribes, 
and then two units of flesh hounds because it's nice to throw the flesh hounds go through the walls because they're beasts. They move 12, they're 70 points for 10 wounds with a five up invul and T4. And they're really good turn one, like when you don't want to go first and you have an objective that's kind of in the open, you're like, oh, okay, I guess I'll put the unit of flesh hounds on it. You know, they can screen, they can move block. Um, they've just been really good for me. I, I, I like them a lot. I don't see a list changing really. Oh, and the sticky objective on the stalker. Because uh, I didn't quite have enough points for another unit of nerdlings. And it's been good. Um, blah, blah, blah. Do we actually think they'll make any meaningful changes to help balance the bottom factions or just point buffs? Um, honestly, I don't know, Dom. Um, I hope they do, but we'll see. I I seriously doubt they're going to yeah. do mechanical changes. I think, I think yeah. if anything, I think if they do mechanical changes, I think they'll do mechanical changes for the entire game. And that might lift up the bottom factions a little bit or like give us a quality of life. The downside is if the downside is all the factions in the middle are going to get lifted up as well. And then right. factions at the top get brought down a little bit. So you will be better. You'll be closer to the top factions, but you'll still be the same distance from the middle. Yeah. That makes sense. So the like, let's say they, yeah, like, let's, yeah, let's say they hit, let's say they like, they just kill towering tomorrow. Like towering is just dead. Okay. Um, and you play death guard, or you play admin or somebody like that. Your position relative to like Marines or Thousand Sons or whatever, you haven't gotten better compared to those armies. Your position compared to like Imperial Knights or uh, Eldar, you've gotten closer to those armies because they lost. If that makes sense, I think I think you might see that, but honestly, I don't think until the balance pass, which is going to happen. I think they said six months in the edition. I don't think you're going to see anything except for points, unfortunately. Yeah. Um, you might, like I said, they might, the 40K balance is like an ecosystem. So like maybe, maybe something gets hit and it has knock-on effects through the meta um, where people stop bringing a thing or um, they hit this thing. It's now gone. It was a predator for this thing. This thing now becomes prevalent. It's a predator for this thing, and this thing is like holding like your best unit down or something like that. Like, but that's that's emergent gameplay, and we have no way to predict that. Mm -hmm. that's just, that just kind of just naturally comes into being. Um, is from Derek? Is there like a certain income or expenditure level you need to hit to really make the rewards on the credit card work, or does it scale pretty well regardless? Um, again, if you are, if you are. If you can afford to pay off credit cards and you have the type of financial freedom freedom where you can afford to buy plane tickets and um, buy hotels and that kind of stuff, like se even semi-regularly, then that's that's really all it takes. Um, but again, not a financial advisor. If you if you barely qualify for that and then you are not you don't pay off your stuff immediately, you will get into trouble very quickly and you won't have that safety net of being a strong earner to bail you out of it. Yeah. As long as you treat it, like it's definitely accessible to lots of income levels because there's lots of different cards with, you know, balances and all that stuff. As long as you're treating it as if it is, if you were using your debit card, you're good. Just like, just like don't spend more money randomly because you have the ability to, because the balance is high on the card. Um, than you otherwise would. Aside from that, it's just it's discipline, just like most other things. 
Yeah, you're you're playing with fire basically. Um, you gotta respect <laughs> it. Decent. Or like or like driving a car, you know, like you can, you know, it's everyone's like, ooh, we I'm driving a car, but like it's it's serious. Like you can actually cause some real damage with that. Um, have any of you ever availed of coaching Mentry for 40k paid or otherwise? How did it benefit you? Um, there was a few times in eighth edition where like I was just low spiraling so hard where um I literally just uh this is when Art of War was kind of like starting out. Um or I think I think it was uh I don't think it was Art of War at the time. It wasn't um trying nights of the game table. It's is when Nick Donavati was still he went brown magic when he was writing people lists in college for like 25 bucks on a phone call. And then he went, that was him by himself. And then he went, hey, respect the side hustle. And then yeah, he right. joined up with Knights of the Game Table um, with the guy who has like seven wives or something like that. He's a swimmer. Uh, looking at, it's a hilarious story. Go, look into it. It's so worth your time to um, deep dive if you're watching this. Like, go go get it. It's so yeah, weird. go deep dive. You can find like articles and everything about this guy. The guy gives me, he's like a pickup artist or something like that. I don't know. He says, yeah. I don't want to like talk trash about anyone, but like shivers down my spine, not the good kind. Um, so I'm glad Nick got out of that. Um, and then he became Art of War. And he joined Art of War after the Proviathan LBO, him and a lot of the top guys from Brohammer like waked up and they created Art of War. Um, so I kind of knew Nick at the time through John uh, Lennon, because he was on he was on we were both on Brohammer together. Um, and I basically, and then I was also a subscriber to Knights of the Game Table Pro, Nick was on. And there was like one or two times where I was just like spiraling on lists. And I basically was just like, I was like, screw it. I just called Nick. I'm like, hey man, $25. This is what I got. This is my play style, whatever. Send me a list. Um, coach me through it. And that was nice just because it kind of took me out of that spiral. And it basically gave me gave me a proven list, gave me a proven game plan, and I just went out and tried to execute it. Now, a lot of times, Nick's play style and mine are very different, so I met mixed results. But it was nice because it got me out of the analysis paralysis, and it literally just got me focusing on getting my mind right for a tournament, making sure I got rest, making sure my army was hobbied up, and then and then just executing. Here's the game plan. Here's the rough general game plan. Sometimes things came up. And because I wasn't really used to this army, I didn't really know how to handle it. But for the most part, like I did fine. Um, that was kind of handy. Um, when I was on Brohammer, um, and now again, John's been a good resource. Anthony's been a good resource. Um, a little bit privileged because I'm able to kind of bounce thoughts between a lot of these guys for free. Um, although. They don't come to me as much as I go to them, but like sometimes they'll come to me and they'll ask me questions about like chaos knights or demons or whatever like that. And it's it's kind of nice to be able to have that like exchange, you know. And I think when you get to a certain point, that's where a lot of these ideas go go for is not in paid coaching, it's not in secret discords. A lot of times it's just one on one phone calls or Discord messages or stuff like that. Um Coaching, coaching isn't bad. I view it as like a supplement, though. You know, it's like don't spend all your money on like protein and creatine and stuff like that if you're never going to do work. You got, you got to get the games in. Yeah, um, gotta go eat it. Coaching can supplement for like a lot, or especially if you can get the games, but you aren't on a competitive team and you don't have people who are who are either 
who are either competitive, you know, you have a lot of people who think they're competitive, but they actually aren't, you know, they're just rigid. They aren't open to new ideas. They don't really understand the, the game or the underlying concepts or whatever. Uh, they just regurgitate what they hear online. That's not really competitive. Uh, people who actually understand like how to like to play the game, like the, the, the to and fro, the, um, like the screening, the threat, pushing, scoring, all that kind of stuff. Um, people who understand that, like you want to get on a team with them and then you want to play games. And then like after you play, want to get games with those people and then you want to break down the games with those people, whether they're present or not. If you don't have that, coaching is good because then you can play those games and then you can like take that information and you can like bring it to your coach be like, hey, this is, eh, this is what I found. Help me digest this. And they can help you do that if they're a good coach. But you have to play the game. If you're just on Discord, if you're just on Reddit, if you're just on Facebook and you're just spiraling on like lists and concepts and like watching battle reports and just consuming content and then you go to a coach with that and you're just regurgitating other people's ideas and you're not actually putting it on the table, like coaching is not really going to do anything for you. Yeah. Um, I have not used coaching for 40K, but I also I think I have a different – if you're looking – specifically to improve if you're unhappy with your current level of play at anything your current level of expertise at anything getting a coach and committing to doing the practice alongside the coaching is really important so i'm like good being a like local rtt hero and going three and two if i get to, to get to a gt maybe four and one x and one baby um but like if that were to change my priorities would change like right now i'm looking for like a personal basketball coach because i'm 40 years old and like can't rely on like, oh, I'll just be faster than you and then dunk it as like a real thing that's on the table for me anymore. But also like still want to feel successful in basketball games regularly. So like I need somebody to help me adjust my game. Um, but that's also because I like care a little bit more about my, I'm like more personally invested in that, in that compartment than in 40K. If I were similarly invested in 40K, I'd like be hitting up NS weekly if not two or three times weekly, being like, all right, buddy, let's do it. I played 10 games. Uh, here's what the notes are. Here's where I think I messed up. What do you see? What do you think? Um, it's, it's like super worthwhile. To Tim's point also, while many discords and areas in social media are not the most reliable purveyors of information about 40K and what you should be doing, some, like the stat check discord, are great. Like there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff in there where like, good players who are out there playing the game and lots of players around the same level and really high level players are all exchanging ideas, giving real good, high quality critical feedback. And also when necessary, calling each other out. I'm like, bro, just like, stop. Like your list spiraling, quit what you're doing, go play some games, come back, talk it out with us. Like, sounds like you're onto something. You just gotta go put it into action um, in like a really supportive way. So yeah, another, another pitch to join up with the Discord. Yeah, absolutely. If you find yourself changing like the last 100 points of your list like over and over again, like you stop, please stop posting it like over and over and over again. Like just go play, play a game, play a game or two. I beg of you, please. That will that'll tell you way more information than like pinging like eight, eight different people about it. Well, um, <laughs> just throwing it out there. Like really playing, playing games is overpowered. It really is. Um, also like, Anthony has mentioned this before in the past. If you have a good catalog of armies and you're going to an event and you're trying to learn, like unless you're trying to learn that specific army, just bring your strongest army. Mm -hmm. um, 
I learned, I actually learned a lot in eighth edition when I was playing Iron Hands because it kept putting me like one bracket above where I was supposed to be based off my skill. And so whenever I lost and went like 4 1 or whatever, that loss always came from someone who was like better than me by an order of like two or three magnitude. And they were, and they were like doing crazy stuff, you know, or they would like, they would like do what they had to do, just kind of like stay, kind of keep pace on the scoreboard, and then like uh, either wait for me to make a mistake, or they would try to like you know offer up something that looked like a good trade, you know, like a really you know like a CSM player, you know, would be like, oh, accidentally left my demon prince out here. I hope <laughs> and like no one wants to give up the demon prince for free. You know, if someone offers you a demon prince on a golden platform, like on, on a golden platter, you're gonna take it, right? Okay. And then I would take it, and they would just be like, like I'd put out there, take that demon prince, and then their hand would come down, and then they, all of a sudden, like the, the wheels just came in motion. And I was just like, no, oh, like I saw the game just ending. It's like I'm like now I see the trap, you know? And it's yeah. just like they yeah. do stuff like that, you know, where they would they would literally they knew that my army was better than theirs, and so they would create situations where they would trade down to then set up to open up the board state to create a situation where they could win, you know, like, and they would, they would throw away like a really, really good asset because that was the only way that they could change the status quo of that game, you know, um, or other ones, they would just, just outplay the crap out of me because they were way better, you know, but like seeing all those different ways that people like would either, um, wait for me to make a mistake, force me to make a mistake straight up, like head fake me like that demon prince play, you know, or just like nickel and dime me, you know, and just not really ever really allow me to like to posture up with my statistically better army and go for that knockout punch. You know, it was like they were always like one step ahead of me. Um, I learned a lot uh, during the seven seven or eight months that I was playing Iron Hands, like just basically by <laughs> punching above my punching above my power level and then getting beat down by people that were way better than me. I learned a ton from that. So just play play strong stuff, and like that will happen to you. You'll get carried a little bit, and then you'll get to see what like what someone who's truly kind of like mastered the game is like when they pull out all the stops to beat you and your good army. All right, next question uh, from Rickard. Hey Tim, not really a question, but over in the Chaos Knights channel, I really liked what you had to say about maximizing use of your time. So you focus on getting reps of lists versus getting three crappy games, and maybe that'd be a cool thing to mention. Show if you haven't before. Sure. Um, Basically, I just talked about like, hey, just, you know, instead of uh, like, so like, especially right now in 10th edition, like you want to find your fun. And for some people finding their fun, um, the way they have fun is testing stuff and theory crafting and kind of coming to their own conclusions about what they like to run the list and everything like that. Um, if you are trying to improve and you don't have a lot of time available to get reps on the table, though, uh, I, don't, I was just telling him it's just an inefficient use of your time um, because... If you do it incorrectly, you'll spend a bunch of time coming up with a list that's suboptimal. If you do it correctly, you'll end up at the list that everyone else came to, but you'll have taken way longer to got there to get there. And instead of learning your matchups, you just spend a bunch of time recreating other people's work. Um, Ines mentioned it on the last episode where him and Anthony did on Tuesday. Like, just if you're just trying to get better, just net list. That way, you take that opportunity to fail losing at list writing. You just take that out of the equation. You know, proven concept, and now you can go because right, right now, knowing your matchups, I think, is very important. It's always been kind of important. Um, but getting reps 
learning how to play Warhammer good at a fundamental level is obviously probably the best bang for the buck. And then after that, knowing what other armies do, so that way that one army doesn't do that weird thing where they, they move out of sequence, they heroically intervene, and then they're invisible, then this goes in reserves, and then you lost. And you're like, ah, uh, I didn't know you could do that. And then, like, how many times does that happen to you? you just, like, that happens, and then, like, your your run just ends. And now, now you you were on track to, like, maybe go 4-1 and one or 5-0, oh, and now you're just, like, whoop. Going, going down to the kid tables um, by playing, by seeking out, like by figuring out a list early and then seeking out reps into all the other factions. Like you get like a, like two reps into every single faction. You won't, you will generally, especially if the other people are running metal list, you won't be surprised by much. Yeah. There's nothing wrong with net listing. Let that, just let that internalize that. Anyone that yep. tells you otherwise is wrong. It's okay. I do it all the time. I, I actually go out of my way to do it. I will go through, I will create an Excel spreadsheet, and it's easier in 10th edition where everyone's running the same faction. And I will literally like check all the lists that went like 4 1 or better. And I will check how often every data sheet appears. And I will basically use that to quickly crowdsource what's working and what's not. And I've, I've done it before where I've literally made a demon list um, in 9th edition where I, I literally just took. I took like 30 games. I took like 30 different 30 different lists over a three-month period that went four and one or better. And I literally just put it where it showed like the average that every unit showed up. And I just started from the top and I just built a list right there. And a month after I did that, Matt Morisoli and Nick Nanabadi took that exact list down to the final 100 points uh, to the top eight of LVO. So... That's, I mean, there's, there's the reason why net listing works is because it's been, you're, you basically, it's wisdom of the crowds. Um, okay, from Pizza Bagels, aka Tommy, the 10th edition meta is a bit wild at the moment, understatement, with factions split into distinct haves and have-nots. How would you approach the game competitively in the current state of things, assuming limited time to get reps and chase the meta? Um, whatever army, if you have multiple armies, um, just bring the strongest one you have. That's one and go. And yeah, pick pick whatever out of your library. Pick the, the strongest one you have. Net list it. Find out why that net list looks the way it does. Like the core concepts of it, like how it's doing its scoring, what the generic play patterns are, how it deploys, what starts and reserves. Um, and then after that, like create a sheet of all the different factions. I do this all the time. I have an Excel spreadsheet when I'm getting ready for an event. I'll have, I'll have an Excel spreadsheet, and it just literally has every single faction. It has how many games I have against that faction. And I just make it my job before that event. I'm doing it right now for Warmasters to make sure that each faction has at least one next to it. That means I got one game into that faction. Um, stuff like right now, like Death Guard, Sisters, Admech, a little bit lower priority. Stuff like Custodes, Thousand Sons, um, Eldar. Those numbers are kind of higher. They're a little bit higher. They're like in the six, sevens, eight. But uh, <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying to get lots of games with my armies. But more importantly, I'm trying to see the entire game, um, so that way I don't get surprised by anything. Um, you'll learn more about your list too when you when you play it into literally every other faction of the game. Um, but that's how I would do it. Uh, Dad Hammer question. My daughter four has asked to paint some models. I was wondering if you folks or listeners just show questions, discussions, and suggestions for stuff to do. Normal GW 3D print models are fragile, pointy, expensive. Anything that might pop in your mind, she pretend she's painting some guys with daddy. No, we already do other craft stuff a fair bit. She already fixed this lately. I think someone in uh, discussions already answered this. They recommended like the the Reaper or the Bones minis. I, uh -huh. 
that. Those are those are a nice size. They're a little bit bigger scale than GW, which is great for kids. Uh, they're pretty cheap, but like they're pretty good quality, you know. Yeah, they're nice. Yeah, you can head down if you can go to your game shop and get those or like the D and D minis um, for way less money per model than for yeah. And the and the best part is you can make the shopping an experience too. Like you can take them with you yeah, and like yeah. and like let them pick it out. You know, like kind of show them stuff like that. You know, they'll, they'll love it. It's super fun. Also, if you if you're like I'm like. Like I let my son play with my Land Raider Crusader that I spent a lot of time on, and I'm just like, all right, you know, if it breaks, it breaks. If he scuffs it, I'll repaint it. Whatever it is, um, depending on your level of patience, like it's relatively easy to strip minis. <laughs> you know, let, let him get after it. You can strip it. Uh, I don't. It, I don't but. own. I don't own any. I don't own any Marines anymore. But I have this stupid little box dreadnought that I keep because my kid just likes to throw it. Um, and he just he literally just grabs his thing and just chucks it. You know? But he doesn't throw any of my other stuff, so thank thank goodness for that. Although he does seem to like my orc the my orc boys, so I'm thinking about maybe making a couple extra of them and just giving them to him or something like that. Um he's still young, he's three and a half, but he doesn't he doesn't really put stuff in his mouth. So yeah. I've I've literally never seen him put like something that wasn't food in his mouth. And even then food has been I have had a he's he's a picky eater. <laughs> so my son sometimes before he'll like get out of bed really early in the mornings and come down to the office and like, I have like my hobby space over here um, to my right. The, and I'll come in and he'll have like artfully arranged, like I had a bunch of like frag cannon dudes set up from hobbying in the night before you like set them all up, attacking the rape night that's like a third done. And I was just like, awesome. this is so cool. Like he's having such a good time staging yeah. these scenarios. Um, but yeah, it's it's it yeah, it's great to get kids involved. All, all my all my stuff is in glass curio cabinets. You can see I have four of them. You can see two of them behind me. And you, as you see, there's child blocks on all of it. Um, yeah. <laughs> but he doesn't really he doesn't really get into it too much though. But he likes to just like walk. He likes to just kind of like walk and like look at them. So mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe maybe in the future there'll be something cool. You know. But if he doesn't want to, we'll just play sports or something. Um, from Alex R is a fairly new parent, eight months. At what point did you start to you had time to hobby regularly again? At the moment, I'm only managing to get a couple hours every few weeks. Um, it's honestly it's, it's a little bit different for everyone. Um, when my kid was newborn up to about a year, I was actually able to get a lot of hobbying done. Um, I wasn't able to leave the house very much. <laughs> also, a little bit, um, but. Because like when he was young, when he was when he was like uh, he was like relatively newborn to me, he was just kind of like a potato with a face. So he just kind of sat there. And like, mm -hmm. He would just like poop himself or something. Um, and you just had to yeah. First few months are pretty straightforward. Yeah, I got a ton of hobbying during that time. Um, after that, it really depends on how well they sleep. Mm -hmm. um, it sounds like sounds like maybe your kid is not sleeping too hot, and if your kid's not sleeping too hot you're going to be tired because you're constantly getting up and everything. And, you know, that's, that kind of sounds like a little bit what you got going on. So I, unfortunately, uh, you're just kind of tired out. I, life got easier for me around like three, because then we started taking them to daycare. And then I started having like the day to myself again. Um, so that was a lot easier. And so when he's at daycare and have, because I have Thursdays and Fridays off, that's my weekend. Um, I get a lot of get a lot of hobbying done during that while he's at daycare. Um, and then after that, like my hobbying is just it's just bouts of inspiration at like 11 p.m. Um, I usually pay for it the next morning though. 
So, yeah, there's a lot of like <laughs> my recommendation would be one, depending on what the what the like work slash general life scheduling situation looks like with your partner. Um, try to figure out if there's some means by which you can alternate like, hey, four hours on a given day or a night per week. Can I just like have this time and like I got you whenever you want it on a different day. Like that can be helpful to alternate that way because it's it, you feel as if you both need to go through the struggle, um, but you don't genuinely. You can take turns sort of like 1v1 in it, um, yeah. especially early on when it's really hard. And then, yeah, the other thing like, which I similarly do, Tim, is just like, like I guess I'm just staying up till one in the morning painting miniatures and that's gonna suck because I'm only gonna sleep for like five hours, but here we are. <laughs> like, yeah. I wanna get this done. Yeah. I mean, well, welcome to being a parent. Um, yeah, you just don't sleep. Said, stuff. Yeah, I mean, it could be. Like I said, we only we only have one kid, so I think we're keeping it at one kid because I think like once you go two or more, like at that point, the hobby starts falls off real quick for you. And right. It's like, yeah, if it, if your stuff isn't painted, like it's never getting painted. So, <laughs> like, hope hope you're down to get it commissioned. Um, if you even get to play it. Uh, so this one is from Jan David Hassel. Uh, I see a little leaf next to him, so he's new. So welcome to the Discord. Welcome. Uh, for Custody Cliff, how happy are you about Custody's taking top spots to Coma? Um, I mean, I'm happy about Custodians in general. Like, I just they're just great. It's pretty. I'm simultaneously like, hell yeah, I knew they could do it, and also I'm like, ooh, I really hope that the Games Workshop folks there don't view that as like, oh. These guys need a little tap. And like maybe they do, because fights first access at that level with miniatures that are that strong in close combat is a thing. And I get it. Um but yeah, like man, I love I love it when custodies when custodies are good. And they're they're like really good right now. Yeah, they're really I, good. They where it just like meat. <laughs> Let's throw meat at each other. Uh, they definitely feel like a brick wall for melee for melee armies. However, I I like the type of custodies armies that we're seeing. Yeah. Um, I don't have a so I don't have any issues with the Forge World, um, and I love tanks. I love dreadnoughts, stuff like that. Um, I I won an RTT with nothing but three Telemons and two custodies planes, and I will cherish that memory forever. Um, I had no obsec. I had no obsec, but my bases were physically so large they couldn't step on any objectives and they couldn't yeah. pull me off. That's amazing. So, Two double Ares, double Ares gunship. Uh, I was a, it was Ares and Orion, yes. a um, a bike captain, a Vexilla, and three Telemons with double fists. <laughs> and and so I literally just if I went first, the planes just moved up. And just sat dead center on two objectives. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the if I went second, the Vexilla was there, like kind of making the planes like minus two to hit. Um, if I went first, the Vexilla went up into it and they moved forward and then the <laughs> went out. The shield, the shield captain was basically just kind of like patrolling. And like yeah. if you got close to any objectives, the Telemon would heroically intervene, just start punching you with like seven attacks apiece. Um, and the planes just sat there and shot the crap out of people. And they just never died. And the bases were like 120, 160. I don't know, they were huge. But they were like, they left, they left like, um, they were just so big, they, they physically covered up the objectives. And so people yeah. just couldn't get onto it. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like they just couldn't get onto it. Uh, and if they tried to like mess with the telemons, they just got for work being on. It was so stupid. Um, but I like, I like these lists where it's just like, it's just like 
30 dudes, dudes. Um, like four characters and then like you know like an assassin or like some you know some random imperial agent weirdos you know like kind of like tagging along boom that's it you know it is it is odd that like the index which is like such a concentrated version of what codexes have been in the past just like nails from a lore perspective like what the custodian's army should feel like like it, like having played it a few times, it feels like you're like, oh yeah, this is like what I read. Like they will punt you into the sun in close combat. There's some yeah. limited shooting that's very reliable, and they're super resilient. Like it's great, it feels great. Um, so I guess this is a three-part question. So for everyone, uh, do you think there's more to them than the win rate suggests, or was it a four-up deviation carrying them? Um, I think I think hmm. it was a combination of multiple factors. I think. Because the um, if if that event was five or six rounds instead of eight, um, most likely Gene Circle. Well, now there was I think there's only like really two Gene Circle players of note there. Um, But I think Imperial Knights or Eldar, possibly Gene Circle, would have won. But because the event was so protracted eventually all those big hitters hit each other each other they knocked each other out um and then custodies like you know kind of a little bit combination of like being played well being a strong army being right place right time and then also just the way they navigated through like the wind path the event um it just kind of it just kind of worked out um because and then because like there's a real possibility like those armies could have very easily just gotten caught Imperial Knights or something like that, you know, like gone twice, gone two games in a row to Imperial Knights and like got lucky the first time, you know, with the variants and then got lucky the yep. second time with the variants and just died, you know, yep. same thing with Eldar. So I think it was, I think it was just a combination of like the cream rose to the top too early and then basically just everyone like knocked each other out of contention and not to say that custodians are not cream of the crop. They're very, very good. Very and good. if, and if the top three armies in the game right now, which in my opinion are GSC, Eldar, Imperial Knights, if all those get hit, I think Custodies are right there waiting. Mm-hmm. Um, they're very, they're a very, very, very strong army. Lurking. It's just they don't, it's just like they said, like they can bring in some shooting, and that shooting is good, but it's not like the t- the across the table oppressive shooting. But they are a brick wall for melee armies, and some armies the only viable. Like those they have right now is mostly melee. Um, orcs really, orcs really spring to mind is one of those right now. Mm-hmm. Like CSM has actually dialed back the melee and gone more into shooting with like obliterators and forges. Yeah. Um, but you know, a lot of times what happens with custodies is what ends up happening is like against shooting armies, they have like four bricks, they lose one brick and they reconnect in the game ends. Um, but yeah, they're they're strong right now, and like I always recommend them, like as like a big boy time slash dad hammer type army, like right there, like Imperial Knights, Chaos Knights, Custodies, like those are three armies to have if you're limited in time. They're great, fun to hobby, super liable, few decisions to make, usually pretty strong, they're good, very forgiving. The, the the play patterns are roughly similar from edition to edition too, so you don't really have to like retrain every edition. Um, what are your best practices of scheduling steady hobby workout training progress in your weekly schedules? um it's hard man uh sometimes like it's you for me it's kind of like a rotation of like what what my priorities are 
Um, I've been trying to like, you know, do the gym twice. Like usually I try to go like four times a week, but like I put on some weight. It's I've been going like one to two times a week, but that's because of WTC and it's like looming. And I've had to make the decision where it's like, well, I can't really go to work less. Um, there's limits on how much I'm willing to neglect my family. Um, <laughs> like there's, you know, like, so like, well, to do, to do more of one thing, you have to do less than another. Yeah, and, you know, I, and like, I'm just spread so thin that like, I'm kind of like, I'm kind of like at bare minimum on several of those buckets as mm-hmm. far as like my time and attention. Um, I still, you know, especially now as I'm getting closer to 40 and stuff like that, I'm knocking the door. I definitely prioritize health. Um, so it's a priority to me, but like right now it's kind of taking a semi backseat until WTC after WTC, um, probably not going to be hopping as much, probably not going to be playing as much. Um, you might see me in the discord a little bit, um, but it'll probably mostly just be for the show. Um, which again, we do every other week because it allows Cliff and I a lot of time to do other stuff. Um, but really I'm going to try to. Un- go undo the physical damage of the last like you know three months, especially a WTC prep has done on my body. Yeah. Um, if I can, you just, you've like, got to schedule. Yeah, the sket like get if you're not already doing it. If you're if you're a single person, use a calendar like block out your time in an intentional way at the beginning of the week and sort of like lay out what you would like to do, and then at the end of the week, Friday Saturday, like look back at that and see how close you're able to get it, and then tweak it the following week just to make sure you're adjusting. If you're living with a partner, have family, all that stuff, make sure you all have a shared calendar and that you're checking in Sunday night, Monday morning, whatever it is, about like, hey, what's coming up this week for you? Here's what's coming up for me. What are What's our like responsibility split? Like, what do we need to do? Um, that way y'all are both on the same page about the next the next few days. But yeah, there's just like, like I have an Achilles tendon injury and both my Achilles tendons. I would love to be able to go to the gym and workout. I've not been able to do that for like, a month and a half um, mm-hmm. outside of like push-ups and like you know like some bench press stuff which is not like I'm a, I'm a full body movement person and like that's just like not where i'm at but you know you get older you gotta do pt you gotta get evaluated for these things go see a doctor um and make the time where you can to make sure you can you can get it in but yeah there's only so much stuff you can do the, the calendar like i think the calendar is kind of a calendar for managing your time is kind of like the budget for managing managing your finances. Like yeah. some people think it's optional. I think it's not optional. And people who people who think it's optional just haven't gotten exposed yet. <laughs> like you'll um, learn. You'll learn. It, it will happen eventually. Um, but yeah. the calendar, um, I'm really big on the calendar. My my wife is a little so so on it, but like, you know. I, I try to keep her accountable on it. And then sometimes she's, she's called me out, you know, where I've slipped on it too, stuff like that, you know, but it's, it's a collaborative effort. Um, but it's huge um, schedule. Also it's hard because a lot of, um, a lot of us parents, dads, whatever, we use the late night after the kids are asleep and everything as our time to do stuff. But a lot of times the answer to finding more time in the week is to go to bed earlier and then to wake up early. Wake up early. Um, yeah. And so when that alarm goes off to actually get out of bed and like pre-stage, whatever it is you need to do. Um, for me, like right now, I try to go to the gym twice a week and lift weights. And I try to do um, 
15 minutes of high intensity interval training. I just do it right on my front porch, my backyard, twice a week, 15 minutes. I I wheeze like a fatty for 30 minutes afterwards, you know, but that means it's good. <laughs> it's um, done. Yeah. It's done. It's all, I'm, I'm actually gonna do it after after this show. Um and it's right unfortunately it's at nighttime, but it's a bazillion degrees out in Southern Florida. But I don't have any other time to do it. Um I have overtime tomorrow morning, but I'm packing my gym clothes because I have a gym at my work. Yes. And I'm gonna stay, I'm gonna stay late after my overtime. I'm gonna stay late. I have about two hours. I'm gonna get a workout in, then I'm gonna come home, pick my kid up from school, take him to therapy. We're gonna go home and I'm gonna get a 40k game in. And then I'm gonna go to sleep and go to work at 6 a.m. the next day. But that's like what my life is, like every single day. Yeah. It sucks. Um, it's not about I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world, but it you have to you have to like find it where you can get it for it. And sometimes also, like there's been times where my wife has said, Hey, do you wanna do you want to um, – I'm making some taquitos in the oven. You want two taquitos? You want to watch some Netflix or something like that? And, like, sometimes I haven't seen my wife for, a long, like, a while, and I'm like, hey, yeah, let's spend some quality time get fat together. There's other times where I'm like, <laughs> I can't. I got to be good. I got to eat some vegetables, and this is, like, my time to go to the gym. I need to go to the gym. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a sliding scale, too. Sometimes it's, it's, like, what's more important in the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but sometimes you have to say no. Be like, hey, th- this is my time to do this. If I don't get to do, if I don't do it now – I'm not going to have an opportunity to go to the gym again until like three days from now or something like that or next week. Uh, for Cliff, Big Boy Meta is upon us. <laughs> I, even brought, I even brought all caps Big Chungus, the porf, to an RTT. Man, I am – who is this? This is Rickard. Rickard. Can I live your life? I want to bring a porf to an RTT. And went two and one with it. Let's go. I would have loved. I would have loved to see the terror the dream. of those two two opponents. Maybe the third one too. What is it about large centerpiece models you find so appealing? Oh gosh! All right. So from first, generally, they're just cool. Like they're the coolest looking models that Games Workshop produces. It's clear that they put their best sculptures on them. They know that they're big. They're like the big money spenders. Their centerpiece models are amazing. Um, from a gameplay perspective. It just, the fact that they are more powerful and thus cost more points and therefore I have fewer units to worry about just means I like, I have less decisions to make on the table and it really starts to boil down into like movement, target priority, and like appropriate list building before you get to the game, which gets easier when you're choosing from this like limited limited selection of, um, of slots. So like, I feel like I have fewer opportunities to fuck up basically when I go big boy time, which is great. From a hobby perspective, I'm like, I'm like probably like a hobby, hobby's time with me is like playing the game in terms of enjoyment. Um, you can see so much more of the work that you're doing on a model when they're larger. Like it's just, it's actually that straightforward. Um, gives you more space to do interesting things and like no knock to the, to the mini model stuff. Like I've got a bunch of Death Watch Marines, got a bunch of Terranids, a bunch of Necrons. I love them all. Um, but like at table distance, you can't like, it's hard to see the OSL glow effect that I put on my Necron Warriors Gauss Blasters, but like you can really see the OSL glow effect that I put on my Castellan's Plasma Annihilator. Like it's very obvious. Um, and so it's just like sort of more rewarding even there. And like, you know, people like big stompy robots. They, they tend to attract a lot of attention to the table too. There is an element of like, even when they're not good, i.e. the Castellan at the end of ninth edition, when you put it on the table at an event, people are like, 
shit. <laughs> what, what does that thing do again? Like I feel the people feel concerned if they're not very proficient at the game because it's a big scary thing that you're putting on the table um, and it looks dangerous. So there's a little a little bit of mind game action going on too. Yeah. One of the hard lessons people like sometimes learn too, like the like is so my daughter's very excited as well. I like, just came home. Um, <laughs> is sometimes people will just not respect something because they know it's not meta and so they don't really know but here's the thing they will and this is where like sometimes like like consuming too much content and not playing enough games can kind of like lead you to a pitfall is people will be like oh this isn't meta therefore it's bad and they just know it's bad and so they think they should they think you're like throwing like fielding it and they think they should automatically win um and then, but they don't understand why it's bad. It's not bad because it's the model is bad. It's bad because it pulls you into certain like play patterns or whatever that is not conducive to like making it through an event five and out, or it has a or it has like a natural predator or something like that. And but people like they don't understand the nuance. They're just like it's not meta, therefore it's bad. Therefore, I can just disrespect you and win this game, and then they die. <laughs> they just <laughs> die. And that is, yeah. and I've yeah. seen that happen. I've, I've, I've early on, like when I was competing, I've also been on the other side of that. So I've learned my lesson. But like, it's really funny when you see other people like make that. They learn that lesson in real time. It is so satisfying. <laughs> I mean, this happened literally at like when I was like sort of memeing about taking it to LVO and took it. It was just like. T-Sun's Flamers guy was like, all right, I'm going to throw my Flamers down to them. I'm like, okay, they're there. You did some wounds. And now, like, I'm going to spend four CP on my Castellan, and that unit's going to take 23 mortal wounds. You're like, what? Like, that's it. That just happened. Yep. Like, sorry. <laughs> got to respect the game plan, um, even if it's a bad one. Yeah, exactly. Um, and the other thing uh, to mention, not to – not trying to steal any thunder for it all because I thought you totally nailed it, but um, Innis has mentioned a couple of times one of the best ways to just generally get better at 40K is to try to, like, learn how to make your models do more. Like, mm -hmm. if your model is just screening, like, if your model just goes out and kills something, that's obviously good. But then if it kills something and then screens and then also scores a secondary and now okay. your unit has done three things, that's good. So yeah. Go when you're running big screen out of DC. When you're running big boy time, you end up doing that by default. You know, you have to, otherwise you um you'll have a hard time. The other thing That's I think it you, the other thing I think it helps get you the mindset of is learning to just get shot. Like you're just kind of it's like yeah. when you're like learning how to box or whatever. And like after you get used to getting like body shots and punched in the face or whatever, like you're not you're not like wincing anymore, you're not afraid of getting hit. Um those lists help them out a lot because a lot of people are just like they don't play aggressively enough because they're afraid of like just losing models. They don't want to lose their they models. Don't, they don't want to lose the models. So if you, run a big boy, if you run a big boy time list, like you're going, one of you two is getting tabled. So, <laughs> just how it has. Yeah. Um, from Adrian Az, paring down rules and power to help a friend get up to speed will probably play Highlander less than 250 points for each units. Fine. Um. We also plan to eliminate the double strap options from captains, etc. What else would you restrict without drastically changing the core of the of the current game? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I think maybe I'd stick to core strats only. Yeah, just to get up to speed. Maybe. Well, because you want you want it to feel like Warhammer, but you don't want to like 
you don't want to be like in the book constantly where right. you want to. You know what I mean? They they made a great PDF that basically is just like it's the, the battle round attack sequence and the core strats. I would say the more I would say like as if you have your cards and you have that, and if you can play a game without using anything else, like that'd be the ideal. Um, I would just play play without army rules. Play without OC. I know it's going to be weird when things hold objectives they shouldn't, but like it's just, it, just play without OC. Play without army rules. Play with just the core strats only, and like I would just do that and get 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 the muscle memory going of like the uh, the battle round and the attack sequence yeah. and just moving your models. Yeah, and then sort of introduce things one maybe two at a time after that for somebody that's brand new. Like okay, now yeah. we're gonna use enhancements. Now we're going to use yeah. the strategies. Yeah. Yeah. Once they once they master the basic process of like moving measuring tax sequence everything that's when you start adding all the extra stuff um from jane jameson jameson whatever so he answered jake b's question about his daughter he's just jumping on us so this might not be a question jumping on this say i brought my boys down to five-year-old miles paint let's do it the way i want i encourage them to stick with the scheme try the best app the five-year-old can't focus on too long i'm resisting the urge to help and touch the models myself because i think someday Having the first guys they paint themselves on the shelf be something special. I'm curious That's if they just through this, though, too. I agree. Um, so, yeah. Let them do it. It's fine. Yeah. I was going to say, like, yeah, it's really important. This, this is now we're into, like, parenting philosophy stuff, but I'm a huge proponent of, like, children aren't, like, tiny and capable adults. They're, like, you know, fully capable humans that are just in a different stage of their life. So it's worth, like letting them letting them have full agency over like paint the model however they want if they ask for help with something then you know obviously give it um but you know just let they're really just there to experiment and like have a really good time and like you said it's gonna be it's gonna be so cool to have their first painted minis down the line um if they like stay in the hobby and remain interested or come back to it you know 10 years 20 years from now that's gonna be great yeah exactly if anything if anything at all like i would just show them like you know like if it's a, a human or an animal or something like that show them how you paint an eye on once although that may be too much but like show them <laughs> show them like show them how you use like contrast on like one arm or show you how you paint like the the toe beans on the on the mm -hmm. king's paw on one and then let them try to like recreate it on the other side but then like don't just let them cook you know beyond that yeah. um that'd be that'd be the most i would do um from Jan David Hassel again, uh, what are your favorites of the new Tyranid models? Uh, Screamer Killer, Norn Assimilator. Easy. Yeah. The, um, God, that Death Leaper model looks fantastic, though. But yeah, the Norn Assimilator is unreal. Like, what a model. My God. That <sighs> thing looks, that thing looks like you stepped out, stepped out of the portal of, like, Pacific Rim. It looks so freaking cool. Oh, good. It's so good. My God. Yeah. That might be how I do my Tyranids. I might for the base, I might just do like clear resin or something like that. Oh, and do like the glow. Was it blue or orange? The portal they were coming out of. I don't know. I'll watch it tonight. So just just as like studying, <laughs> I just want an excuse to watch Pacific Rim again. So fun, yeah. Um, from Dino, uh, what do you think the top ten ranking is going to be at WTC teams? Brother, I don't know. I'm still so new at WTC. Um, I think you have the, like the peripheral people that are always good. Like you got like Poland, uh, England, Sweden, Australia, uh, Australia for sure. 
Uh, I think France, Belgium, Germany, all there. USA is probably good. USA has a newer crew, but I mean, brother, they are hungry and they have worked. Um, so I would say like, just, you know, I apologize if I missed anyone. I'm still new to the WGC, but I am not really expecting any like crazy surprises. I think maybe just where they end up within the top 10 might be different. Um, so we'll see. He might just, he might just try to be trying to sigh out me, uh, into, uh, either shit talking or to like, into something. but like honest question is, I, I don't know. I don't care. I'm not going to be there playing big boy time and, and drinking. Um, <laughs> Yes. From John L. Has anyone had experience taking a kid to an event? Um, no. Definitely, I have not. But also, my kid is three and a half. Like, if right. I take if I take him to an event, like I'm, it's going to be a disservice to my opponent because I'm just going to be constantly just watching him or attending him or stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so it depends on the age. My oldest, seven, went to a few one thousand beginner RTTs last year. And loved him. That's really cool. That's fun. That's awesome. That's super cool. He told me that he, what he wanted to do, and I told him what to roll. He's now yeah. eight and wants to go to 2,000 events, which would mean I can't play with him in that event uh, as I would have to stay with him. I don't want to discourage him, but I also feel like I need to protect my time and enjoy it. So I feel like you you need to – I think you need to do one or the other. I don't think you can do both. Mm -hmm. um, you either need to bring him to the event and make that day about him mm -hmm. or you need to leave him at home and make that day about you. I don't, yeah. I don't, I don't think you're going to have both until he's older. Um, yeah. And then, and then Dino answers on this one, which I think is a great answer. Um, he said several players took their young ones to double events from the age of 10. They swear by it and not skipped a doubles event for the last five years. That's, That's yeah, great. Awesome. Yeah. Because um, you can practice that too. Like you can play, play games at home with your kid. And then like, then you guys can like form up, you know, it's like, it's like a, it's like an any show where like the villain becomes like part of the team later on, you know, something like that. It's kind of like you're playing against each other and now you're teaming up and you go fight other people. Yeah. So um from Paul, uh, what are your top three fun armies to play against? Armies where you see your pairing and you think, oh cool, I get to play this army. Same question for missions. Really depends on I think it depends on what I'm playing. Um like if I'm playing a melee army, it's really fun to see another melee army. Unless that melee army is custodies, then it's not fun. Um, <laughs> if if I am playing anything but chaos knights or imperial knights, um, I don't want to see imperial knights cross the table, you know. But otherwise, if I do, like it's big robot time, you know. Mm -hmm. um, so if, the answer is it really depends. Um, I, I haven't I haven't really thought about this enough but in ninth in ninth edition in ninth edition i definitely liked seeing um knights both flavors and and orcs um and then world eaters nothing really felt like nothing really felt like oh come on whenever they did it you know like sometimes it was a little intense like when orcs walked and they charged you with like 19 different units that was really freaking scary <laughs> but it was interactive um <laughs> And it was, but yeah, it's, I don't know, orcs are generally pretty evergreen as being good. Even right now, um, they feel pretty fun to play. I like playing as them and against them. Um, I think when Imperial Knights get hit, I think I will enjoy playing against Imperial Knights if I'm running a big boy time list as well. Anytime you're running big boy time versus big boy time is like a ton of fun. The blast, it's, it's a blast, yeah. yeah. But I, I like I'd say those, those are my answers. 
I think playing against Tyranids um, and Demons is always a really fun time. Uh, I also like play as both of those factions, so have a blast playing as them too. And like literally anytime anyone has like, you run to the guy who's clearly spent, you know, 10 hours per model. He's got the nameplates and there's like little terrain pieces and all the bit like that. I love that because it adds to the narrative like experience that I've got going on in my own head. Um, so anytime someone's like hardcore mm-hmm. hobbying, uh, playing against their models is great. Yeah. Um, from Dan J. Uh, have either of you ever lost your love for the game or simply struggled to prioritize it when family work health get away? How did you overcome and get past it? Asking oh. for a friend, obviously. <laughs> um, I have. Um, the best thing you can do is uh, not obligate yourself to to interact with the game if you're not in a good space for it. Um, my personal go-to is if I'm not feeling it, I will shift from playing to hobbying. And if I'm not even feeling that, I will shift from hobbying to just reading like like Warhammer books. Um, there's my backlog of like Warhammer books is huge. Someone recommends it to me. I go on, I go on like my tablet or whatever, and I, I buy it. It's just so easy. Like you can just you search it, boom, it's right there. Download, you get the book. So many recommendations. I'm like, oh yeah, Infinite Divine, download. You know, Master Mankind, download. You know, uh, the Silent Lords or whatever. The one about the Death Guard, download. You know, so and good. so you you end up you end up with like the backlog, just like you do with like models. Um, yeah. And we love the game so much that if for whatever reason you just don't, but you still want to be involved with it, like that's kind of like my um, my gradient. Um, I don't know if gradient's the word I'm looking for. Spectrum, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. That's that's kind of what I do. Is I, I I go from playing to hobbying, and if even if I can't bring myself to do that, I don't play or hobby. I just like read read books and like learn more about the lore, like Horus Heresy, your favorite your favorite like Legion, your favorite chapter, whatever that kind of stuff. Because that's always fun. You can do that by yourself. Um, the worst thing you can do is just continue to drag yourself to the stuff you don't like. And then on top of that, I think the worst thing you do is just be terminally online and interacting with other people because you'll tend to like focus in on negative stuff and it'll it'll like reverberate back and like amplify like those own internal feelings you have a little bit, at least in my experience. Yeah. It's um I ditched the game around like the end of fifth edition. Um, and I don't think I really got back in, no, maybe sixth in, no, it was the end of fifth edition. And like, to the point where I like gave all my stuff to my local hobby store. It's like, here's the managers, make sure that they're available for people to play with or get into the game. Like I don't need these anymore. Um, and came back at the beginning of eighth because in the middle of that time, I like, I just was like ultra busy. Like, like I was teaching high school science straight out of college. That was intense. College itself was a lot of work. Didn't have time for it then. Then like, it was moving. I like started a school in New York. There was just like no space for that in my life at the time. Um, and now there's a little more space for it, shockingly, despite having a family, probably because I'm much more organized in my time than I used to be in the past. Um, but yeah, same thing. Like if I don't, if I don't like the way a given faction is playing, I'll like switch to one of the other ones I have. Um, I'm so, I'm so enamored with the hobby part of it because I'm like at, at heart sort of an artsy kid. 
um, that like there's always like new painting techniques and like little tutorials to take in. So I'll like try and do those in a couple of test models that I want to get on the table, I think in the future um, and just sort of like wait it around. But there's also times I'm just like, ah, I'm just not going to play 40K this month and do something else. Like go play ball, um, play Destiny 2, like hop on with my brother. He's still into that. Diablo just came out. That's still fun, despite people dooming about this patch, which like yeah. seems fine. So, like it's great. <laughs> yeah, no, good thing you brought that up because like I'm looking like I'm looking online, like everyone is dooming. And like I get where they're coming from. Like maybe this is just me, like casual privilege, you know? Like yeah. I still have I still have yet to get to 100, and it's not for lack of trying, you know. Um, but getting level 100, like while you're trying to like prep for WC, like it, like cross purposes a little bit. Um, but yeah, I just re-rolled a a necro, especially when I yes. saw they said, well, because yes. appara apparently they, they thought necro was like the worst class in the game. And then it's someone was good. But then someone discovered Bone Spear was like insane. And then like they were expecting it to get nerfed. And then it got like a love tap. You know? Yeah. Sorcerer, Sorcerer, Sorcerer got nerfed. I don't know what that was all about. But like, hey, um, there's five factions in the game. It's free. You already paid for the game. So if you're, if your favorite faction is free, it's not like starting a new 40k army. Just make a new character. Yeah, so I've been trying all the characters. Um, Rogue is cool, but it's a little too action intensive for me. Mm -hmm. uh, Barbarian and Necro have felt like the way playing a big boy time list feels. Yes. Just like, I'm just I'm just like leaning back like this, just clicking like one thing every five seconds. Because you just you just do the thing where you just grip all the mobs together and you just blast it with a spear and like your whole screen explodes. And so it's so every the feedback, time. The feedback loop is so freaking good. <laughs> Whereas like with rogue, you're like you're like you know, it's just like it's strong, but like man, it takes so much work. So yeah. Anyhow, yeah. I'm sorry, just total Diablo four tangent. Um, <laughs> From from Griggs, uh, I guess he has two questions, but like five people sniped him between his oh questions. Boy. Oh boy! Um, I am a new player and participating in my very first league. I am struggling balancing game time and hobby time. It's either play games with green plastic or paint models. The league has no paint requirements, but I feel guilty looking at my ugly gray next to beautiful armies. Any tips? Well, have I got the tip for you? It is called <laughs> slap chop, my friend. However, however. Um, if you want your your models to look like just lavishly painted, um, Slap Chop is not for you. Although there's nothing stopping you from going back and adding more onto them later. Um, but basically Slap Chop is a term that was coined by someone online, but basically it's the, the concept of priming a model black and then dry brushing it gray and white or priming a model black and spraying from the top down to white. So that way you get white values and shades. And then you filter them with contrast paint to kind of like add the color. Um, and it's it gets you very serviceable models. So like I said, that, that, Cliff said that was done with Slap Chop. That looks fine. Like it, gives you a, it, gives you, it gives you a very serviceable model very quickly. Um, I, I will... I will uh, I'll link it I'll, after the show. I'll find the video. I'll link it. I'll ping you, Griggs, uh, just so you can see it. You can do that. Um, that's probably the best bang for the buck to like just get paint on a model and get it on the table quickly. Um, and you can always go back and add more. 
Um, but that is like kind of a new player struggle. It's like, you know, due to linear nature of time, it's like, well, do I hobby? Do I play? Do I hobby? Do I play? It depends what you want. I personally prefer playing because I'm a very social extroverted person and I like getting out of my house and interacting with other humans. Um, so I always tend to prefer playing. Mm -hmm. um, but hobbying has its own kind of like, you know, kind of Zen feeling too. So yep. it's, it's a little balance. It gets easier the longer you, you stick in the hobby, especially yep. if you don't get rid of your models. The hobby part is very time consuming if it's your first time painting in assembly miniatures too. So I fully understand that that takes, it takes a lot. One, don't be, don't feel bad about assembled models being on the table and you playing with them. That's like easily half the models that are getting put on the table at most game stores during events. Um, and during like pickup games, like don't stress about that. Nobody's judging you. It's all good. And then two, which Tim mentioned earlier, if you're really looking for that like speed to quality ratio, like light base coat, like a contrast primer base coat, and then contrast paints, and then the null oil slash agrex earth shade all over the thing, and like they'll look great. They'll look great in hand. They'll look great at table distance as long as you're like neat about the application. You'll be good to go. Uh, from Josiah Gaddle, I am a new Black Templar player fighting the shooting meta by trying to invest in good movement melee. Black Templar is not a bad choice. I've been watching the stats, and uh, apparently there's pe people are making Black Templars work. I don't know exactly what they're doing. I think it might be like the big neophyte bricks, the Field of Pain or something like that. Um, kind of a, a little bit of a uh, dark horse right now in the meta, I think. Um, you got to dig down there a little bit, but I've, I'm seeing some stats that show me that... Um, that Black Templars are kind of sliding by undetected. Um, so that'd be something there. Uh, I took the suggestion of doing the first two round react sessions to help improve, improve deployment and knowing the proper first few turn movement patterns to avoid being tabled as a melee army for connections. I'm also playing in a 500 point increment escalation league, trying different types of lists. Fine. What are the best skills I should focus on next to improve skills? What are your focuses in react sessions to help improve? So I think you nailed the first part, which is the deployment. Uh, deployment and those play patterns for those first two turns, that's where the redirect sessions really come into their own. Um, I would I would do what Anthony does, walk around to your opponent's side of the table and just spend a minute or two, put yourself in their shoes and be kind of like, well, what am I afraid of? And granted, this might require you to know like kind of what their army does, so this is going to be something that's going to kind of come in time. Hopefully you're playing with friendly people and you kind of have like an open information kind of thing going on where like after the game, you guys can talk about your armies. You can use this opportunity to learn about each other's armies, what you were afraid the other person was going to do, what were you relieved that they didn't do, that kind of stuff. Um, from here, I would say the next best thing is just learn to pre-measure everything. Um, hey, your melee unit, what's its threat range, aka what is it? How far does it move? Can it advance and charge? The added advance? Does it roll to advance? Does it have a fixed advance? Does it advance like and then add to the roll? Um, does it have an ability to move twice? Does it add to its charge roll? Does it have mm -hmm. roll charges? All that kind of stuff. Um, and then learning to either stay outside that threat range or just tow an inch or two in, just inside that threat range to try to put your opponent in decision be like, well, do I want to go for this 10% play, you know, or do I want to let the opponent disrespect me by like two inches every single time? I'm of the mindset where 
Um, I assume my opponent's going to roll fives on everything. So if my opponent can advance and charge and doesn't have any other modifiers, then I basically take 15 and then add their move value. And then that's, and I park just outside that. Because like, hey, if you move six and you have the ability to advance and charge and you hit a five in advance and then you hit a 10 in the charge, well, that's just my life. I guess I just, I just, yeah, just get charged now. But when you do that, I basically get to kind of disrespect them like three inches at a time, you know? But not only that, because because I am technically chargeable, you know, like now it kind of like weighs on them a little bit. And they're like, yeah. well, he is technically chargeable. Am I going to go for it? And like sometimes people will hail mail if they need to, but a lot of times like they're just kind of like, eh, they just let me disrespect them. And if you do that over and over again, you can all that a little bit. Uh, a lot of people just hard stay outside the, the, threat, the threat range. But if you... If you take something off the table, they'll just go do something else. If you if you give them an option, but you make it a bad option, they'll consider it, and they might even take it. I take um, it. But that's but that's more like that's kind of like more advanced, like playing the person across from you versus playing the game on the table sort of thing. Um, but learning to just pre measure everything and then asking your opponent the threat ranges for shooting. Um, another big one with shooting is when you measure the threat range for shooting. Figure out how that threat range for shooting breaks down. Like how much of it is the gun's range and how much of it is the unit's movement and then figure out where they can move to and then get angles from to then see you. So if their threat range is 30, but six of that is movement or 10 of that is movement, well, okay, we'll measure 10 inches from it, see where the angles are. Then from that point, measure 20, you know, and that's going to help you kind of like learn more about like how armies interact with each other when they move around the table. Um, so that would probably be my next. It sounds like you're doing good with like the the opening kind of like deployment first two movement phases. The next thing would be pre measure and just focus on that. Ask questions constantly. Just learn, get a vibe for how the game moves. Um, Rickard says these are great questions here. These are great questions here. A lot of them, man. I'm gonna have to ping everyone more often. We're almost we're almost at the end though. So if you <laughs> people who are just kind of like if if anyone's eyes eyelids are kind of doing this, we're almost at the end. I swear. Uh, from Griggs again, more of a comment than a question. Thanks for doing an episode of the positive parts of the game. I know it's important to complain loud and clear about all the bad parts in order for GW to get their heads out of the sand. And I'm grateful to people who do, but right now I would join break from that. Uh, me too. It's been done to death. Um, you know, the elephant in the room has already been addressed. Uh, there's might as well. The game is still, if you frame it correctly and you get your mindset right, like you're still playing, you know, Warhammer with friends. And you're still having fun. You get out of the house. It's still a great hobby. So just focus on that. Uh, this is this is a great segue into uh, John's question. Is the positivity positivity from you guys and others coming from a let the galaxy slash meta burn, or is it or is it forty k is just a vehicle to gain in person with the boys angle? Um, a little bit of both. Yeah, it's just like like the game we're playing a beta. It is what it is. Um, broadly speaking, forty k will like I can't say it's enough. Forty k will never be a competitively balanced game in the way that we want it to be. It's just not, that's just not on the table, but it can be more balanced than it is now. I am sure that'll happen. But right now, like, I don't know, we're all playing this like sort of janky beta and like hoping that we get enough feedback up to the people responsible for the game to fix it so that it's not quite as janky anymore. And like, that makes a really good time to throw a bunch of random stuff on the table um, at your store or at your house or at your buddy's house, just like, 
sort of laughing about how crazy some of the stuff that happens is. Like, I don't know, it's a good time. It's also a great time to hobby things up if you're not really willing to engage with the game in that way, um, just to get ready for when the game, game itself gets better. Yeah, I mentioned this earlier um, in the show. If if you are the type of person or if you're in the, the I don't want to say type of person because that makes it sound like you can't change, but if you're in the headspace right now where you get a lot of your self-worth from your performance at events or how many wins you get or something like that, uh, I'm telling you right now, the longer you let that mindset kind of fester, the more it leads down to dark roads. Um, yeah. these, pe these people that we've seen pull gotchas or cheat or play like with a kind of like suspect sportsmanship or something like that. That's how a lot of them started is they just, they started getting good at the game and they drew their self-worth from their wins and their events and their performances. And they just kind of got in too deep. Um, and they never really, they never really took that second to like, they never really had that external or internal kind of stimulus to like reframe their mindset. Um, if you're starting to go down that path, this is a really good time to uh, ground yourself. Um, all of you are amazing people who have plenty to contribute to your family and your friends and society. Um, and it is, and people will still like you, even if you're not good at 40k, or even if you don't invest yourself in becoming good at 40k. Like that's you are more than like your your record of 40k. So don't especially right now where like you can just get diced just straight up you know Ooh. someone just overwatched you and you Boy. just take you know you just take 86 mortals from race night <laughs> like if you attach yourself worth to like that game like it's just send yourself are you, gonna, are you gonna hand the reins of your emotional well-being to a overwatching race night i'm sure not <laughs> do that quote we'll do that um I don't know how else to say it, man. This is like this is a really good time to ground yourself and um, disassociate in a positive way, like mentally and emotionally pull back from yeah. your investment in the game, like the unhealthy investments in the game, and then focus more on your healthy investment in the hobby. Uh, almost done. Griggs, uh, two out of two. For people who are trying to get better at the game, would you recommend an army in the Goldilocks zone over overpowered slash trash armies? The idea being that overpower lets you steamroll people and trash does not be out of the game. Or should you always try to go for a very strong army if possible? Since the game will never be balanced, hence you should always play with all the advantages you can get. Um, a, this is interesting. Go ahead, right? So there's like there's like a practical element to this where if someone's literally new to the game, they are likely, by the time they have an army prepared and ready, whatever was really overpowered when they came into the game is unlikely to still be OP. Right, so I think you go back to like Tim's point, which is like pick a big boy time list or custodies, and like set yourself up for like a, a faction that is likely to be decent, no matter what, and lets you get better at the core facets of the game of like relatively straightforward list building, movement, um, round to round prediction on what's going to happen, and like target selection. Like get get better at the fundamentals and pick an army that's going to one get on the table quickly and two let you practice those fundamentals more quickly yeah i would um it's kind of like if you're playing a video game and people are talking about um end game meta stuff um uh, and they're talking about like how like 
this this class or whatever or this faction is overpowered or strong or meta but it also requires several hundred hours of investment a bunch of gear intricate knowledge of the game intricate knowledge of the meta intricate knowledge of like all this kind of stuff whatever and you are still working your way through the tutorial you know um we lost cliff uh i'll let him back when he goes back you that's like end game stuff like don't don't worry yourself with that um Welcome back, every time, we, every were time doing so well. we were doing um, so well so to, to carry on with that i also on the flip side i don't like it when people are like oh just play what you think looks cool because if you're just losing on cooldown like That's like anthony tells all the time like when he first started got into the hobby he thought death guard were like the coolest looking army and everything about him was cool and he said he's like if i had played death guard and if i invested in it i would have quit within three months um if you're just losing on cooldown um, and you're someone who likes to play, it doesn't matter how cool your army is. You're either going to quit the game or you're going to become a hobbyist, you know, not the good kind of hobbyist, the hobbyist who like goes out of the way to tell people they don't play the game. You know, like one of those ones, you know, like, <laughs> like the person on Super Bowl Sunday who's like, oh, I don't watch football. Like, cool. Like, don't Why are you here? Um, What's going on? Yeah, no one likes that. No one likes that person. <laughs> don't be that person. Um, play style, I think, so like obviously having an army that like, speaks to you aesthetically is obviously going to be part of it but there is so much information out there now um if you search for it on youtube's podcast stuff like that or just ask around of how each army plays um that you can get a vibe for how the army plays and if you're just going to have like there's just some armies like we're just the brain worms just sink in you know for me it's without a doubt um orcs and then chaos knights and then probably like Chaos Demons yeah. a little bit behind that, but just it's a combo of the aesthetics and the playstyle that's evergreen. And even when they're not so good, it's just like even if I for some reason I sell the army, I always end up buying it again. It's just like the brain worms have just sunk in too tight. Um, and it's a combination, it's not one or the other, it's a combination of both. And it doesn't really have anything to do with the power level, although when they are powerful and you're playing that army and you're happy playing that army and you're comfortable playing that army because it fits your play style and it fits your personality. Um, you're going to, it's, you're going to make yeah, so good with that army, yeah. you know? And then when it's not as powerful, as long as it's not like complete gutter trash tier, you'll do something well. Um, and then as you start to become like more of like a, a veteran of the hobby and stuff like that, you know, and your army grows and your, your, your faction list grows, you're going to have like, you're gonna have like a Rolodex of armies that you play, and at that point, if you're trying to compete or whatever, you're probably just gonna take whatever the strongest one is that you own. Um, the other thing I would add is, don't don't fall into like the the sunken cost trap. Get a bunch of like play games with your army as you're growing it. Like play five hundred point games, play thousand point games, and if it's just if you're just not feeling it, get out. Yeah, like. It's better, it's, better to fi- it's better to find out when you're 500 or 1,000 points in than when you're, like, 2,000 points in or 3,000 points in, you know, and then you're like, oh, my God, this army sucks, you know. But at that point, you're just so committed to that army that you just make that faction your identity. You're like, oh, I'm the Death Guard player or I'm the Sisters player, blah, blah, blah. And then your army sucks and you're miserable and then you just let everyone know it and everyone else is having a fun time and then you just show up and you just, you just rain all over everyone else's parade because – I'm Mr. Solo Faction, and it's my identity, and I'm here to ruin you. 
you don't become don't become that person, you know, like play play games early, play games often, you know, find out the play style. Obviously, bonus points if you play army aesthetically speaks to you. Um, and then get it on the table, make some friends, you know, play some games. If you're not feeling it, like try something else before you get deeper into it. Especially right now, like they they have like a combat patrol game thing or whatever. I haven't really played it yet, but like I guess like the combat patrol, I don't, they're not balanced. At all. Sure, at all but it's a it's a system where like i buy a combat patrol you buy a combat patrol Great way to get out here at the game store in a week and let's play yeah and then like i think if you but and then you buy like two of them or like you expand it a little bit next thing you know you have a thousand points you play at that point you're gonna know if you want to like stick with this army or not but don't feel like you have to stick with it just because you've already you know bought it and i know it's it sucks because you've spent money but the second hand market for the second hand market for this game has always been really strong just go buy it. Keep it. Maybe you'll like it. Yeah, maybe you'll like it in the future, or just sell it, eBay, it, whatever. Trade it, you know, and then just yep. start over again. Um, do a little, do a little research though. Definitely find the play style. Uh, Alexi, not sure if it's too late. What are some realistic expectations you have going to a GT? I'm going to my first GT of the weekend. I'm super nervous. I can go two, two, one, or undefeated some RTTs locally. I'm very nervous for the GT. I don't want to have unrealistic expectations for performance. So I would say, um, I think three and two, four and one is like reasonable. Three and two is pretty pretty reasonable, depending on your local. Yeah. So I would say whatever you're doing at an RTT, like extrapolate it and then yeah. reduce it by like one. So like if you're going like if you're going to one RTTs right now, then ex kind of put yourself in the mindset that you're going to go like four and two but gts aren't really six rounds they're five rounds so like three two but then like drop it down by one so like now you're at like two three or whatever um rtts are very imbalanced because you like you have people who like who are running like unoptimized lists uh you have like weird pairing stuff where people are just like missing each other in pairings um you have like you know like the local heroes who just like smash everyone out of contention you have like the local like team if there is a team where they all put the same team name, so they all dodge each other round one. They crush all the, the seals, and then they like go into each other round two and round three. You know, like that's what happens at all our events. Um, so definitely manage your expectations at a GT. If it's a GT, you're gonna have people. People are gonna show up with harder lists, like more like crunchy lists than they do with RTTs. Like a lot of times RTTs, people are practicing or they're just experimenting or they're just memeing or something like that. Like people are actually gonna like really show mm -hmm. up for GTs. You're also gonna have people travel yeah. um, to come to your GT. So that's gonna bring outside talent. That's also gonna like bring stuff that's like not in the normal group bank. So whatever like your local meta is, it's gonna be shook up a little bit as, as an invasive species comes in. Um, so just be aware of that. The nice thing about GT though is just because there's more time for the, the Swiss pairing systems to do its thing, is that by day two, you're gonna be playing people like literally at your skill level because they're gonna be on the same win count and win path as you. So your your day one is gonna be very volatile. Um just hang in there, don't drop. Your day two, you're gonna be with people who are like kind of in the same level you are, like as far as like play skill, maybe time in the hobby, that kind of stuff. So that's that's what I would say. You're gonna do you're gonna do worse than you think you're gonna do, but you're gonna have more fun than you think you are. So don't be nervous. 
Um, Jim Stanley, mentally, how do you balance out having goals that are off a of long term, like hobby, collecting, faction mastery, with the fact that the game gets nuked, reset, and refiled on a regular basis? Uh, if anything, I would say the fact that the game gets nuked, reset, and refiled on a regular basis makes it keeps it easier fresher. to focus on long terms because those. Well, it, it makes it easier for those long-term hobbies because those long-term hobbies are more viable than short-term, or those long-term goals are more viable than short-term goals in my experience. Because your short-term goal could just be completely undone by a decision by... Can you see that? <laughs> my, my kid running around just buck naked. Uh, <laughs> um, so if you have a it can be completely undone by a balanced decision, by a financial decision. Um, that whole thing where like the contemptor dreads, Leviathan dreads, Oof. like just, just got legend out of nowhere, you know? So like short-term goals are not often are not viable in this hobby. Um, but long-term goals are, um, I'm sorry if that's a little bit nebulous. No, I think, I think that that makes a lot of sense. It's like, you know, your army, whatever it is you're hobbying at the time, if you miss the window where it's really good, that window will appear again. The game changes really quickly. You know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go too hard on it. But again, that also, you know, totally depends on what your goal is and what your time frame is for accomplishing that goal. Like, if you're trying to, like, oh, I want to go 5-0 and now, then, like, man, you should have painted three Wraith Knights <laughs> four weeks ago and, like, hit a GTL week two. Uh, if that's not it, like, don't do it. The only thing... The only thing reliable about Games Workshop is that they're not reliable. You can rely on them to not be reliable. Um, I'm still here, still in this hobby. Um, it's like we always joke around as an abusive relationship with uh, with us and GW. Um, it's pretty. It's, it's true though, you know. Um, but I mean, the the game's still fun. The IP is incredibly strong. Um, I've made a ton of friends because of this hobby. You know, I've been I've traveled to a bunch of places I didn't expect I would travel to because of this hobby. You know, so. A lot of times, a lot of it is just expect expectation management and then reframing mm -hmm. uh, yourself mentally. All right, so we are out of the question thread. That was 34 messages we rolled through. Now we have to get to all get through like the three or four people who don't know who the threads were, uh, and then we're done. So for Mark, Mark M, what are the next few events you guys have lined up? What are you most excited for? Uh, so for me, fall is kind of like my slow mm. season for work. Um, so it's usually when I do most of my events. So I have War Masters coming up in like two weeks, two and a half weeks. Um, then I'm doing a local GT uh, at the game store. It's three minutes from my house. Um, that is the uh, Salty Classic GT. Uh, probably going to be between 35, 45 people, although I've heard it's gotten bigger. Um, we're looking at possibly major Ooh. status next year. Um, so we might we might actually be getting close to capacity. Um if the car, I can't remember if it's the same weekend as Nova or one week apart from Nova. Might do Mo Nova, might not. Um, I'm going to be fresh back from WTC, so I just don't want to up for it. Um, but a salty classic for sure. If we're going to try to do that, uh, GW Open Tampa. Uh, I haven't been to Tampa for several years, um, so I want the opportunity to just roll up there. GW events are really well run. Uh, I think Nathan's going to be yeah. judging it, so it'd be cool to see him again. Um, and then a lot of a lot of my a lot of my guys in my local team are going, uh, so we're going to try to roll through and try to represent. And whenever there's an event in Florida, it's like all the different cities are always trying to like rep, you know, like who's the best, you know, like Orlando, Tampa, Miami, Jacksonville, and then the Panhandle. Um, so we go. Miami's going. Y'all have an intense time. sort of uh, 
personnel meta down there also like that team's gonna be it's bad. yeah it, it's it's very like we're all we all view each other as like brothers and sisters but there's definitely family yeah. rivalry big time okay. big time well that's that was that was a big part of like why like bro hammer like decided to split up it wasn't because like the team dissolved just or anything. we just it just like it got to a point where like 80 percent of the state was like <laughs> playing bro hammer you know and so we're just, like we want we wanted to bring back like that like that that rivalry because the rivalry was there but everyone was yeah. listed as bro hammer so it was getting to a point where people listening bro hammer miami bro hammer orlando or like we should just yeah. we should probably yeah. just split up so now now bro hammer is more like a like a network of like all like just friends cool. you know friends and equates like that so it's, it still exists in our hearts um what else you try to go um, to atlanta for the narrative or not uh maybe if i'm bored um it's yeah. a short flight for me it's so it's like it's just right up there uh there's there was one other event i was i think i was doing between that and gw open it'll come to me i can't remember it probably some a random gt or major or something like that who knows oh crucible orlando that was it um that's the major it happens in october every year this is like year number 11 or 12. um so that's always a fun time it's a really good time to catch up with like the aforementioned like you know um bro hammer guys because everyone from florida and a lot of people from alabama hey. come down to that one um but that's always good and I think that maybe maybe London, I'm undecided on that one. I bought the ticket. I haven't, yeah. I haven't done anything else. Um, wife is – it's weird because, like, my wife has given me a hall pass Ugh. to go to it. And that'd be, that would be cool to go and and spend time with the boys, get do, do an Airbnb and stuff like that. However, um, my wife and I, like – both put in for like leave together at our jobs you know, to get pre-approved like way back in last October. And that was before we knew like WTC uh, was going to happen. But we, we kind of, it's so rare for us to get vacation time pre-approved together that I almost kind of like yeah. don't want to waste it, you know, like, so we're thinking about doing a family trip either up to DC or we were even thinking about going up to like Bar Harbor, Maine instead, you know, it'll be, that like, all be pretty, um, yeah, so it's it's up in the air, but that's um, not not as much. Uh, like you know, RTTs here. I've got one this month. I've got one next month. Um, I'm probably gonna hit up GW Tampa also, so that's exciting. I will see you there. Oh, uh, and I'm gonna go to the hit the narrative thing in Atlanta because I just like Atlanta. The city is sick, and being able to play 40k there would be that much more that much more fun. So if you're thinking about it, Tim, hit it up, and we can go do a. Uh, Fun time dancing. I usually, I usually don't have much going on in December, so like I just might, you know, um, if nothing else, just just go up there, you know, not even not just even the army, just roll through and just hang out with everyone. Um, okay, so I think we got like two questions left. Scary randomly showed up and asked when he could be on the show, uh, so we're gonna try to get him on the show for next episode, episode eleven. Uh, that was a nice surprise. Uh, from Luke, how do you become a better opponent when you're getting smashed? Any tips to try to make the game exciting, engage still for your and your opponent if you know you're not going to pull it back. Um, it's honestly one you have to con one. It's good that you recognized it. Um, you have to consciously make that effort. Uh, you also it's the pain of losing dulls with time. Um, the more you mm -hmm. lose, the easier it gets to lose. Um, 
also, and granted, this is a little bit of like kind of like teams wizardry a little bit. I always try to like look at the game through like the lens of differential. It's kind of like, well, I'm losing. I'm now going like once you realize you're going to lose, you now need to make it your goal to lose small. Um, especially for the handful of like uh, tournaments out there that still use battle points as a as a as a tiebreaker. I, I get if I'm in a battle points tournament, I stop trying That's to go right. for the win and I as many points as I can. And then if they and then there's still plenty of, unless you're playing like an art of person or something, there's still plenty of opportunities for your opponent to play later in the game, you know, because they don't know how to put the game away when they're winning. And so if you're trying to get your points and then your opponent randomly throws and there's opportunity, hey, maybe because because you mentally stayed in the game and kept up on the scoreboard, you might just pull past them. Um, but yeah, it just recognize it, understand it's happening, take a breather, and then just, you know, try not to take it away from your opponent, I guess. Let them let them wins feel good, you know, let them have their moment. Um, it gets easier with time, and it gets easier yeah. the more you play. That's it. I think I think you nailed it too with that last one. Like let let people have winning is fun. Let them have their fun winning. Like be just be cool. <laughs> cool. That is it, man. We are done with the questions. Uh, let's. Do we see anything? What a monster! <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Cliff, just start talking about stuff. I'm All right, here we go. Comments. Um. Someone had a beard comment. One, be older. Two, get beard products and use them. Like, use a beard brush, brush your stuff, get it, like, you know, do your, do your, uh, got exfoliating scrubs and all that stuff. It'll, it'll get it going. Um, everyone can grow a beard. It's just a matter of time. It'll happen. The, oh man dashboard stuff so we should have an update out on the dashboard like tomorrow pretty excited because that's going to include all the games from the uh, open and that's going to be after that like eldar switcheroo so we'll be able to really see like truly what does this pre-beta pre look like not just like the on-release uh, beta meta uh, i'm pumped about that and yeah i don't know that's it uh, the only question I saw was from Tim G. How does the imbalance compare to the last time Index Hammer happened? Does your data go that far back? Believe it or not, it doesn't. I think the first time um, we didn't really start getting data collection until like late eighth edition, uh, when 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 Peter, oh, yeah, general because because yeah, because Peter was Peter was collecting win rates and he was doing the weekend stats. Um, and so that was like the prototype yeah. of data collection. And then you had that project when Iron Hands released where you were looking through everyone's data and you're yeah. scraping it. Um, but data collection, the game has, the game and the community Explo has done, has it's exploded light years in sophistication. Um, and this is kind of the part where I'm hoping GW kind of listens <laughs> where the community has gotten more sophisticated and is now demanding a more sophisticated rule set to play with. Um, and it's not just like tournament players. Like I go into like my local store discord and I see players having like nuanced, you know, talks about how mm -hmm. the game is played, about the rules, stuff like that. Stuff that I would have like, I remember in eighth edition, I was having to like explain people like how like rerolls happen before modifiers. And that's why if you were minus one to hit, 
on a ballistic skill three, you couldn't reroll the threes to hit, like that sort of thing. And like people thought I was like people like thought you were cheating when you explained that to them. Like so, like the sophistication of the community has skyrocketed since eighth edition. But there wasn't there just wasn't data collection eighth edition. And believe it or not, back in like fourth, fifth, or sixth edition, like tournament list, people like held that stuff to their chests. And people would like win like three, four, five, six tournaments before like, it finally get a four on gated. Got found out. Yeah. And, oh, and, then, and then even then it was like a game of operator. They'd have like people would have like 300 points yeah. that, like just wrong because then it'd be like it'd be like someone like looking at it and like trying to like remember it from memory and then going to like Bolter and Chainsword <laughs> and posting it. So like we were we were in the Stone Ages from as recently as like mid-eighth edition. Um and we're only just kind of like hitting that it's weird we're only like just now i'd say like in ninth edition late eighth edition early ninth edition kind of hitting like that internet digital age of warhammer um and so i think people are kind of like having like a little bit of the uh whiplash effect as they come from other communities mm -hmm. to warhammer and realize that we're still like in the just yeah. fire over here it is weird to that, like the um, notion that we have like a yeah like a business intelligence dashboard essentially for like the most competitive aspects of the game is like, like so crazy relative to what the standard looked like, even in like early ninth edition. Um, yeah. Oh, it didn't exist. Unless you, unless you were just, unless you were like, were doing the work yourself to scrape BCP, you know, like it just, yeah, it just didn't cool. exist. Raises the floor considerably. Hey, man. That is everything. Uh, so an announcement. We um, we are actually talking about moving time slots. Uh, we've heard from several people. Uh, a lot of people. We're always going to inconvenience some people depending on time zones. But we've heard from a lot of people that are, that they just miss our show, or whatever, because they're putting the kids right. down or dinner or whatever. Uh, so we're going to do a little experiment um, where right now our show is at seven p.m. Eastern Standard Time. We are going to, like I said, we're going to talk with Scari. We're going to try to get him on in two weeks, right before WGC. We're going to kind of, um, we're going to kind of yield to him on whatever time works best between seven and ten PM Eastern to get him onto the show. Um, but we are also going to put up a poll, uh, and we're going to leave it up for as long as it takes, and uh, a reaction poll in the Discord. Um, we're looking at either. 7 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m., or 10 p.m. Eastern. Um, I talked to Cliff. He's cool with it. Um, and then we are going to try to, like, work with you guys, the community and the demographic, to see what's going to work better. And, you know, we'll adjust. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it does, sweet. Um, so look for that. Uh, look for Scari on the next episode. And, uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, just some janky plugs. One, hit up stat-check.com slash the meta for all your dashboard needs and observations about the uh, overall state of each faction of the game. Uh, check us out on Tuesdays, not us, but the general stat check us on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. Eastern um, for the actual stat check flagship show. You see Anthony, Ennis, Nathan, and most frequently, Jeremy, uh, running down both the quantitative aspect of the past week's games and all the quality, qualitative interpretations you get from such expert players. Um, also stay on the lookout for regular releases from Typhus, uh, running Enter the Matrix, which is the like team intense 
team level discussion uh, about the 40K team meta and what the international perspective looks like there. Uh, I think it's one of the best pieces of competitive content on the web with respect to 40K, and is especially relevant given that the WTC is two weeks away. Um, so, yeah, about, about, two, about two and a half. It's uh, so a great opportunity to catch up on those episodes if you haven't already. Uh, hit us up on Discord by joining our Patreon. We're um, stat check. You'll see us. And hopefully, we'll see you in Discord and see you in a couple of weeks. For more shows like this, check out the Goonhammer Media Network. More info at media.goonhammer.com.